In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to start today with one of the canons of the Holy Apostles, not directly to do with the topic, but I, I want it to be as an introduction. And the canon says, if any bishop or presbyter, meaning priests, neglects the clergy or the laity and fails to instruct them in piety, let him be excommunicated. But if he persists in his negligence and indolence, let him be deposed from office. Now, in the canons, there's always like what's called interpretation where they put it into simpler language. The interpretation goes as follows. It is the bishop's indispensable duty to teach the laity subject to him the dogmas of piety every day and to adjust it to a correct belief and to a virtuous manner of life. In other words, it is the bishop's duty to teach not only the dogmas of the church, but also, it says here, the a virtuous manner of life, meaning piety. How do Christians lead a Christian life? And then the interpretation quotes, for God says through the prophet Ezekiel to the leaders of peoples, and now he's going to quote St. Nicodemus, because I think it's all put together by St. Nicodemus, the... He quotes the, the prophet Ezekiel. Now, this what he's going to what prophet Ezekiel is is written here is quite fearful. Where he says, "Son of man," meaning the um, the elders of that time, "I have made you a watchman over the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me." When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them for their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Ezekiel chapter 3, line 17 to 18. What God is saying there is to, to the priests of Israel. He's saying, when I say that if a person does a certain sin, 
they will die. I expect you to repeat that to the people because if you don't, they'll lose themselves and you will also lose yourself for being guilty of not doing what, I, what is commanded. The interpretation goes on, it is for that reason that, that the present canon commands that if any bishop or presbyter, meaning priest, neglects his clergymen and all the rest of the laity and fails to teach them the doctrines and works of piety, let him be excommunicated until he corrects himself. If, however, he persists in his negligence and laziness, let him be deposed, in other words, defrocked, as unworthy of the episcopate or priesthood as this may be. And then St. Nicodemus has a little note, and the note says, it is for this reason that the divine Chrysostom says, there is no great distinction between a priest and a bishop, for the priests are also responsible for teaching and protecting the church, for it is only in the matter of ordination that bishops appear to have the advantage of a priest. In other words, the only difference between really a priest and a bishop is that the bishop can ordain priests. The priests can't do that. But for everything else, they are responsible in the same way. So it's interesting that God is saying, when I, meaning him, when God himself, give my commandments, stern that they are, and say, if people do this, they will surely die, that is no good, that is, I expect you to do this, to, to um, repeat that. And if you don't, you will give word. What it means by excommunicate, excommunicated, I would mean. I think it means that they're not allowed to commune for a while, and if they persist and they don't fix themselves up, then they are to be defrocked. That's how the apostles taught. That's how all the holy fathers taught. That is the responsibility of the priest. But as I've said before, and the bishop. Today's culture is that if a bishop or priest says anything, then there's this kind of set, it's like a set thing. They've got no love, they're fanatical, that's not right. And that is one of the biggest devices from the demons who do not want the Christians to be taught what is truly the law of God. Now, some of these same people who say all these things also may say, well, the canons are old, it's old-fashioned, they can't be applied, um, only fanatics use the canons, we shouldn't read them. And someone even quote Elder Paisios where he actually speaks about the canons. And I found this quote and I will read it to you before we go on to the rest of the talk. Now, Elder Paisios said, some people say, oh, this particular spiritual father is very patristic. He's very strict. He's smart, has a good memory and knows the pedalion by heart. The pedalion is another is the Greek word for rada. That's the book of canons. Now, just so that you know, the rada is a collection of the canons of the Orthodox Church containing 
the sacred canons of the ecumenical councils, the apostolic canons, as well as canons of the Holy Fathers of the Church with a brief interpretation. It was compiled, they were put together, all the canons from all the centuries for that, in um, 1793 by Agapios the priest monk and Saint Nicodemus of the Holy Mountain. So Saint Nicodemus and this other priest monk, Agapios, put the, put the book together, which is the one we have today. And Elder Basius continues on, he says, a spiritual father who applies precisely the rules contained in the Rada, however, may harm the church. Does it, does it do any good when the spiritual father takes the Rada and begins by saying to people that come to him, what sin have you committed? This one. What is written here about it? This many years you're not allowed to commune. Uh, and what have you done? What else have you done? This, what is written here, this, this rule applies. We, all of those of you who attended, or those of you who have read the life of Elder Porphyrios, when Elder Porphyrios was made a spiritual father, some of you will remember that he, when people would come to him, he would have the rudder in front of him, he would have the, those book, the Exumulitarium, the, the, the Manual of Confession, he would, when someone would say a sin, he would then read the, what the canon says. He says, okay, you're not allowed to commune for three years, five years, ten years, whatever. And then the people would come back to him, hopeless, and say to him, well, what's the point? If I can't commune for that many years, then I might as well just continue on to sin and whatever else they said. And Elder Porfirios then read in the canon of in St. Basil's canon, canons, there was one there which says that the spiritual father has the power to adjust the penances as he feels fit for each individual person, not just to say, okay, the book says 10 years, that's 10 years, that's five years, whatever. And um, he was, uh, then, he then he applied the canons in a different way, in a more lenient way. Now, the Paisios... Uh, that's what he's saying here. So, someone asked him, so Yerunda, uh, elder, one must take into account dozens of things then when they're doing confession and things like that and uh, to do with the canons. And he said, yes, especially, this is important, in today's society, one cannot just go and apply the entire canonical tradition of the church with blind, undiscerning or careless strictness. He should cultivate a sense of, he uses the word philotimo in people. Now, the word philotimo is a bit difficult to translate in English, but for someone to, it's up to the priest, instead of applying these canons in a strict way, to try and bring the person to a realization of what God wants from them, to repent, to have a better disposition. A, and for their soul to be more inclined to the doing of good and things like that. And he actually, and actually compares it to a child. Like some children, you can't just force them and you've got to try and appeal to them and things like that. So, yes, especially in today's society, he says that you can't do that. What does he mean by in today's society? that the morals of the world have dropped considerably. 
And as we go on, it gets worse and worse and worse. So remember, Elder Paisius passed away in 1994. Elder Porfirios passed away in 1991. And yet, that's around about the time that the internet came, but not many people had it. But as time went on, the internet is now basically in everyone's house. That technology has good to it, but also has bad in that it has given access to people to pornography and things like that. So the moral, the, as, as decades go on, the morals are deteriorating, deteriorating. So people don't even know God's commandments anymore. So then how can you apply a rule to someone who, does, who didn't even know that what they were doing was a sin, for example? Or, Elder Paisa was trying to say, in today's society, people are very weak spiritually. People are not able to do much at all. If you try to apply strictness to people today too much, they will break. People mentally are not strong. And even physically they're not well. So you can't even apply strict fast. If you try and apply too much, if you try to pressure people, then you can actually lose them altogether. So that's why Elder Bayusius is saying here that you can't do it, especially in the times, and as we go on, it's, it's becoming worse. In order to be able to help other souls, the spiritual father must first do considerably, considerable work on himself, Otherwise, he will go around breaking heads. In other words, it's not discerning for a spiritual father to say, that canon says that, and then try and apply it 100%, except in matters of dogma. We have two types of theology in the church. We have dogmatic theology, which never changes, never becomes flexible for the times. Dogmatic theology is absolute. They are the, the articles of faith, like the creed and all those things that, that we confess. However, the other branch is what's called pastoral theology, how you deal with people on issues. Those things become, can become stricter or more flexible depending on the person, depending on the times, etc. So that's how we, we will see later on that St. Basil the Great was the strictest of them all. He used to have penances which were 18 years for life and things like that. While with St John Chrysostom, he used to give light penances. And actually, he was criticised by many, especially the followers of St Basil, who said that St John Chrysostom was too flexible. Why? Because St John Chrysostom lived in the sinful city of Constantinople, where sin was everywhere. And therefore, St. John Chrysostom knew it was very difficult to actually apply the canon strictly. St. Basil, Cappadocia, it's, and was where he was able to apply the, the, um, the moral laws with absolute strictness. But even he himself would flex, become flexible when, need, when it was necessary. Elder Paisius continues on, the last paragraph. The pedalion is called the rada, because it guides man towards salvation. Now the rada, for some of you who don't know, the word rada is the, the um, contraption at the back of the boat, which moves 
to guide the boat. That's called the rada. And the canons of the church is called the rada. Let's see how, how the older explains. He said, the pivalion is called the rada because it guides man towards salvation. So the purpose of the canons are to guide people to salvation, not to make them fall away. Sometimes in one way and other times in another way. As the captain of a ship turns the rudder to the left or to the right in order to bring the ship to shore. And in, he's using symbolism, shore meaning salvation. If he were to navigate the ship in a straight line without turning when needed, he would bring it upon the rocks, sink it, and everyone on board would drown. So now he says, if the spiritual father uses the cannons of the church as they were, loose Military canons is using the pun on the words, not and not with discernment in accordance with each person's needs and repentance demonstrated. Then instead of healing souls, he will be committing a crime. So some people do quote the canons like they are firing cannon balls, like boom, boom. Just like that cannon says that, that cannon says that, and because people with without discernment, quote, canons, they actually cause a lot of disasters. Which is why people leave the church a lot of times, because they say, oh, I read in the rudder that if a bishop prays with a heretic, that means that he's no longer a bishop, that that means that the whole church has lost grace, how they interpret it. And because of those misinterpretation of these canons, People lose themselves. Of course, that's another lesson which we need to do in the future. So, today I will be quoting quite a few canons. Now, some of you might actually accuse me and say, well, aren't you doing the same? You're quoting the canons. Yes, I'm quoting the canons, but not that I'm saying that the canons should be applied in the same strictness as they were written. What I'm doing today is I'm going to read the canons so that we can see the mind of the church, so we can see how the Holy Fathers thought. And by knowing that, it can help us in our spiritual struggle. If we know, for example, that the Holy Fathers said that if someone does that, that and that, that happens, then that would bring, put us into fear to say, okay, I never knew that. and help us to struggle with, with our passions and with our, um, against the sins and things like that. So let us go on now to the, the theme of the talk. The theme of the talk today is to do with adultery. Because how can you do marriage talks unless you speak about that topic? I did speak about divorce, which I did in talk 56 and 57, 56 was what God has joined together, let no man separate. And I went through a lot of canons there and a lot of things. And talk 57, pray and exert every effort to prevent a divorce. And the two talks before that, which were generally on marriage, which, which people should listen before they listen to the other ones, 54 and 55. 54, the saints and elders on married life. And 55, married life, a journey through joys and sorrows. And we heard in things in there that things that can create divorce, like fighting and selfishness and things like that. We talked about a lot of those things. And we also heard in Talk 56 that the only reason for divorce is adultery. According to Christ's word, 
words, but we're going to look into this in more detail. The first thing I'd like to read on this topic, and you might say, how does it relate? But let's see. Saint, uh, where Christ says, where in the Bible of Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says in chapter 19, line 46, it says, And he answered them and said, Have you not read, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, some of you will catch the last part, which says what God has joined together, let not man separate. But And we did that a lot in Talk 56. But I think what I want to emphasise today is the one where it says, and the two shall become one. When a husband and wife come together during sexual relations, there is the coming together of two halves of a human person, two, which become one, as, as, as God himself said. The two shall become one. And the fathers say that this is the mystical side of our sexual nature, and this is why adultery is such a serious thin, sin. It doesn't say that the three shall become one, or the four, or the five, but today those numbers are very small. Today most marriages are, and the 15 or the 20 will become one, as they think with how many extramarital affairs that people are doing. It says, and the two shall become one. That's God's commandment. And to help us understand the, uh, how horrible adultery is, and that people today get married, and they might say with words, I'm going to be faithful, but they base it on some human type of thinking, but not on God's teaching. Saint Cosmas of Italia, which is the saint that I'm named after, he taught Christ was born from a betrothed maiden in order to bless marriage. And because the betrothal is the beginning of marriage, like the engagement is the first part of the marriage service, and then we have the, the crowning, I will show you an example of how the ring which a man first gives to a woman should be gold, and to place it on her finger, a woman should be as pure as that gold. Then you may accept it and put it on your finger, and you should prefer to lose your life and your head rather than destroy your husband's honour. Similarly, just in case feminists get upset, St. Cosmas goes on, similarly, you too, woman, send to the man uh, a silver ring so that you can teach him if you as a man are as steadfast as silver then accept it and put it on your finger and be ready to offer your life and your head for your wife this is the significance of the betrothal I don't understand the gold and silver I, don't, I didn't know that there was a difference it must have been during the Turkish times but the point there is that those rings St Cosmas says that the, there should be an emphasis to people who are being engaged and getting married, that they, that they should prefer death rather than to destroy that unity of the two becoming one by, have, by, by having relations with other people, that you should prefer death. 
like a monastic. When, when a monastic gets tonsured, he's asked a number of questions. Will you be obedient? Will you stay at your monastery? Will you, will you, will you? All these questions. He says, yes, God being witness, yes, God, uh, with God's help, that I will not. And the monk or nun takes that with them throughout their life to know that if they throw off their schema, that they can't be saved. It's that serious. Unfortunately, I don't feel that that is emphasised today in the parishes for married people. There should be an emphasis there on the importance of people holding themselves before the marriage and during the marriage. And I believe that there, that would help considerably a lot of people who go haphazardly and get married without really thinking what, what they're doing. Now, I'm going to read a few things from Marriage, a Spiritual Arena by Archimandrite Vasilius Bakuyans, which we've got at the back, which a lot of you have got. Um, he's got a section there on, on adultery, pages 90 to 92. Now, he states, he's, he states and says that Men do not want other men touching their wives, even with their little finger. And he quotes that as being a teaching of St. Cosmas. And then the Archimandrite goes on, We can imagine how enraged and hurt a husband is when his wife completely surrenders herself to another man and commits adultery. St. John Chrysostom says... The exact words is, he says, do you want to see how evil adultery is? Think of this, that if you should suspect that your spouse is committing adultery and how hurt you would feel, imagine how you would feel if you are certain that they are committing adultery. Obviously, St. Cosmas got his teaching from St. John Chrysostom, as do most of the Holy Fathers of the Church. Because St. John, John Christum, there's volumes and volumes of his works. And he goes on, he says, There is nothing worse and more indecent than a husband who commits adultery after marriage. Now he's going to the man, so the woman. There's nothing worse and more indecent than a husband who commits adultery after marriage. His home seems like a prison because his mind is constantly on the other woman. See, some of you don't, didn't, don't even know that St. John Chrysostom, we see, we look at him in icons, we say, oh, he's like an angel or saint, he's such a... And then we think, oh, how is he discussing these things? So we have an idea of the priest to be some dodo there that doesn't say anything. So what's the purpose of being a priest? And remember as well that St. John Chrysostom was a monk. He wasn't married. Because that's another argument, too, that people use, that uh, monks should not be speaking about these things, which is true to a large extent. But then uh, if we wait for the married ones, I don't think you're going to get much. And plus, all the great spiritual fathers... Let's look at Russia. Which one? St. Father John Christiankin, monk. Serbia, Elder Thaddeus, the spiritual father of Serbia, a monk, a priest monk. 
Elder Cleopa, who is called the spiritual father of, the, of Romania, priest monk. In Greece, the spiritual father, they say, of Greece was, eld, was Elder uh, Philothos Zervakos, who was a spiritual child of St. Nectarius. Then we have one who wasn't even a priest, which is Elder Paisios. And you should see, if you read, he, if you read his words, he goes into details, which we'll go into more uh, next talk, about sexual relations and uh, abstaining and how many days and all this type of thing, things. The canons on these matters were written by monks. So don't be fooled when people come up and say these things. Just be very, be, be very careful. There's all these great arguments. In general, yes, most monks will state their monastery, but there are others who have been blessed by the bishop to teach. Saint Cosmas himself said, I should be in a monastery, but how can I stay in my monastery and be saved? Why should I think of my own salvation when he saw all the Greeks that were in Greece under the Turkish occupation were losing their souls? So he received the blessing from the Patriarch of Constantinople to go around all of Greece. That's why he's called equal to the apostles. He and a few others like that, many of them being monks, saved Greece from becoming completely Muslim. And Saint, because uh, Saint John Christum says, and he cannot love his own wife anymore, even if she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Homily on the sacred institution of marriage by Saint John Chrysostom, and how true that is that these people who, have, who are committing adultery, they find their own house to be like a hell. They always want to be with the person, whether it's a woman who wants to be with their man or a man that wants to be with another woman. Even their own children, doesn't, they don't care. Footnote by the Archimandrite says, Furthermore, if innocent children become disturbed when they discover that their parents have sexual relations with each other, that is, relations that are permitted by God, and, but as children they become disturbed, we can imagine how their delicate souls would be affected if they discover that, that a parent is committing adultery. I think that would send them over the edge, which a lot of them, it does. That's why a lot of them are disturbed. Adulterers, says St. Paul, do not go to heaven. Since they don't go to heaven, they are destined for hell, no matter how good they are. And then we have a nice quote from St. Paul, just in case some people will say, well, that's not in the Bible. Just like people say today, I don't know, I don't know how they get Nowhere in the Bible does it say that homosexuality is a sin. So let's see what St. Paul says. Do you not know that the unrighteous, in other words the sinful, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that is the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, 
nor homosexuals, which in Greek is the effeminate word, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor extortioners, those who cheat people in other words, will inherit the kingdom of God. There's two words there to do with, with homosexuality, and we'll talk about that in the next talk when we talk about more on the unnatural sins. I don't want to waste my time now. But it says here, someone with their satanic logic can say, well, aren't we all sinful? Now, what St. Paul means is those who are committing their sins, these sins, without repentance, with disregard, and they love it. They don't care. Not someone who is falling, getting up, crying, asking God for mercy, asking God, please help me to stop. That's a whole different thing. But here, when, when we must make a distinction between those who sin because they are disregarding God's commandments and they don't care and they say, I'm going to do what I want and have no repentance or any desire to change, and a person who could be sinning in the same way, by the way, but is in pain and wants to stop it. Two different things. St. John Christum says that just because you cannot see now the future punishment, you reject it and therefore you keep on sinning. So St. John Christum referring to this said, well, people can say, how do we know that there's a hell and how do we know that there's going to be a punishment and how do we know, how do we know? And St. John Christum says, but how can you not believe in something that has already happened in the past? Think for a while of Sodom and Gomorrah. No other land has been punished so harshly as it, and it was punished because its inhabitants were lovers of the flesh. St. John Chrysostom is answering the argument that some people might have and say, how do we know there'll be a future punishment? Because there are even people today in the church, and with pain I say to you that even priests and bishops who actually teach or think privately, some of them have actually admitted, and they say that there is no hell, that God, because he's full of love, he cannot have put people into hell, and therefore, at the end, everyone's going to be saved, including the devil, which is a heresy that was condemned in the Fifth Ecumenical Council. Where they get that, I don't know. Before Lent, we had a called the Sunday of the Last Judgment. And there are so many references in the New Testament which speak where Christ himself says, in everlasting torment. Where they get that, I don't know, but people believe it. Obviously, they prefer to believe it, because then it says, oh, if there's no hell, I can do whatever I want. I can do as many sins as I want. There's no fear. So St. John Chrysostom, to answer them and says, but we see God's mind, we see the way that he thinks, his attitude, by the what he did in the Old Testament, where he destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, some of you might think, oh, that was specific, that was to do with homosexuals only. That's not correct. That, that's not all that. It was the, 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 that sin is also when men do that with women or women with women and other things. And sorry for the expression, but even... The, the Holy Father's 
put together in the sin of sodomy, which is what the modern world calls anal sex, they also put in oral sex. It's all mixed together. It's all called one thing, unnatural acts. And it was the unnatural acts which God punished them for, whether it was men with men, men with women, women with men, or women with women, whatever. It was all this, It was all that. Some people might think, oh, it just means male with male. It didn't just, doesn't just mean that. It's all of them. And fornication and, and, and even sex, uh, sex outside of marriage, all those things. And so, see what it says here? St. John Chrysostom, not me. He says, and it was punished because its inhabitants were lovers of the flesh. If God himself, St. John Chrysostom continues, who is always the same, has punished the, to death the sodomites that have sinned, how could he leave you unpunished who keep sinning while living in Christ and having received so much grace. Of course you'd be punished and even harsher. What St. John Christum is saying, that those people in those days, they didn't have the grace that has been given to Christians baptised in the church. Because that's what even... Christ himself said it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for those of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said that with his own words. It would be more tolerable. Why? Because they never were given the grace that is given after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection that's been given to the church. And therefore, St. Um, John Christum says that the punishment will be even more severe. Now, just in case some of you think, oh, it's such a hopeless thing. We said that those who are sinning without repentance, without any struggle, with no pain, it's different to those who are sinning and saying, I'm going to do what I want. Now, the Archimedrite says that we shouldn't become hopeless. We must remember that repentance purifies and saves the soul. There's repentance, the confession, and we and there's struggle, of course. Now, I have a little note here. If God punished the Sodomites because of their unnatural sins and their, or their sexual sins, then what was the reason he sent the Great Flood approximately 450 years earlier? Was there a specific sin? Was it generally sin, the, the sin of the world that God brought the Flood? What was it? Um, I think St. Nicodemus will answer that later on. I'm going to now read for you from the um, Manual of Confession by St. Nicodemus the Ayurite, the Ayuriti, which is a book which I mentioned earlier, which has for a priest of how to confess people and things like that. It says in there, he goes, through, he goes through all the commandments. He goes through all the commandments of um, the, the Ten Commandments. And as you know, those of you who have got confession sheets, I've seen them, there's all these questions asked. He has a list of questions concerning the Seventh Commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery. Now, some of you might think there's, all, there's Ten Commandments, 
but there's not one of them which says you shall not commit fornication. Just adultery. Now, some people in their logic can say, does that mean that other sins, other sexual sins, aren't a sin, aren't wrong, sorry, what the church considers a sin, but only adultery? Well, let's see what St. Nicodemus how he explains. He says, those who not only commit adultery with the married wife of their neighbour, but also fornicate with the unmarried, transgress, break this commandment. So whether a person falls with a married person or an unmarried person if they're married, it's through adultery. For according to Canon 4 of St. Gregory of Nyssa, fornication is also considered to be adultery. Those monastics who fornicate or marry also break this commandment because they married, they're married to Christ. They are said to have given vows to they will be... Uh, they will not get married, obviously, and if they do, then they also transgress this commandment. As do those who fall into spiritual adultery, that is, into heresy and dogmatic error. That's a deeper thing, but when one falls into heresy... It's, then it's like you're committing adultery spiritually. So there's spiritual adultery, there's also physical adultery. Now, these are the questions he said the spiritual father is meant to ask. Uh, perhaps, my child, you've committed adultery with a married woman. Perhaps you fornicated with an unmarried woman. Perhaps you dress yourself up and wear, up and wear makeup and put on perfumes and colognes, which are causes of fornication. Perhaps you gaze at the faces of women and of youth intently and with lust in your heart, as Christ said. It was said that whoever falls with someone, they've, they've committed adultery. But I say to you that if someone looks at a woman and lusts for them, they've committed adultery in their heart. So that's why we have to look at the deeper thing in the Christian church. It's not just rules of don't do this, don't do that but also it was what's happening in the heart. Um, for whoever gazes in this way commits fornication adultery with his heart, as the Lord said. And that's why, oh, here it is here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on. Perhaps you were an intermediary, like a go-between, matchmaker, and the cause of someone to sin with a woman delivering letters from the man to the woman or delivering gifts and presents or bringing erotic messages from one person to the other or other like things. Now, this is important because this is what goes on today, especially now with this SMSs and emails and um, Facebooks and all. People aren't aware or don't want to be aware and cautious not to cause someone to sin. So, for example, there's a married couple and the friend of the, of the, of the husband there, of the, of the guy there, uh, his friend knows that some woman likes him, for example, likes a married man. What should, this, what should that person do? He should firstly not invite the two to the same dinner or to the same function. 
nor should he pass messages from that other person to put that from the woman to the man to put that person into temptation. Today, people think it's a joke and they don't understand this, the, the holiness of a marriage. Or other silly people, couples that have some single people, even married people, hanging around and you can see that there's something's not right there. Too much interest of one to the spouse of another. You say, oh, that's old-fashioned. It's not old-fashioned because all you've got to do is read about it. You see it on the television continually. You hear it in the news. You hear it. You hear about it from word of mouth of all these, oh, yeah, she fell with the best man or he fell with the bridesmaid or he did it. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And this is all because people have lost the idea of spiritual struggle and to be careful. That's why he says these things lead to sexual sins, adultery, etc. So we have to be careful. Oh, that's for monks. Then we should look at the example of the monks. When the see Manathos, there's no women. When the monks come off Manathos, you notice some of them, they're going out into the world. And they've and, and the boat takes them from Manathos to the part of the Greece there, to the port. There's a little port there. And that's a holiday spot. And there's women there with bikinis, and it's quite quite atrocious. And you see the monks come off, and many of them, the heads down, heads down, run into the bus, basically, walking fast, heads down, not looking to quickly go. They have to be very careful, because things like that can cause temptations. That's what people today have to do a lot of, too. Some people think, oh, I've got my wife. How can I fall if I have... They say, if I have any sexual need, I can go to my wife. The wife goes, I've got no problems, I can go to my husband. But if that's the case, then why is adultery so widespread? Why then are people who can have each other in their marriage going with others? And one of the reasons is because people aren't careful and have self-trust like Peter had. I will never deny you. But, but, but before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Self-trust is the sure way of a person falling to sin. When you trust yourself. So, partying, drunkenness there, all those things all promote one thing, sexual sin. That's why people, they go to the city, they go to the parties, they drink, and those nights end up with sexual sins. And now we have an added thing, which is the pornography and the filth on television, on the films, and on the internet. And that's opened up a whole can of worms, which is very bad. And he says here, and many other things like these, which are related to adultery and fornication. In the next talk, which I'm going to do more on this topic. 
I wanted to to do a special section on the impact of pornography on married on married life. So I just went and searched, and I found a secular website. Just found a, I just picked one paragraph. Just one paragraph. I thought, oh, that's a good paragraph. And even though it's written, it's not written by an orthodox saint. It's not. It's just written by a woman of how she looks at uh, how she looks at this of men of their of husbands looking at pornography because it's mostly men that do it. She says here for many women, discovering that their husbands have been viewing pornography is similar to uncovering an extramarital affair. So for a woman to find out that the husband is is looking at those things, it's like she just discovered that their husband. Uh, was having an affair with someone. As a result, they experience a variety of emotions, anger, hurt, sadness, betrayal and rejection. They believe their husbands would rather be with the women with the women that they view in pornography rather than their wives. Often they feel that they have been replaced by a computer image. The woman on the computer screen is the other woman. Because of this, many women are devastated when they discover their husbands have been looking at Pornography, and that's from a secular point of view. I I want to go into a more on the spiritual on on the next talk. But that's what Saint Nicodemus spoke about. And the internet didn't exist three hundred years ago when he wrote when he wrote a lot of these commentaries. But he actually says erotic images because there's always been those things, not photog- photographs because they never had photography in those days, but paintings, drawings, and he calls them. For, uh, pornographic imagery, which causes someone to fall. And there's another footnote there in there by Saint Nicholas. He says, a man or, or woman also breaks this commandment if they dress themselves up or adorn themselves or applied makeup or perfumes with an evil intent and scandalize another. If one encouraged if one encouraged someone to sin in the flesh or become a mediator to this through letters, messages, etc., they are also guilty. Now, in other words, the commandment "thou shall not commit adultery" does not apply, as we know, only to adultery of a man or a woman breaking going with someone else. It also means all the sexual sins, even if you're not married. Just like you shall honour your father and your mother. But in that commandment, the Holy Fathers say uh, that is also, as we, as, as we heard in Talk 45, it is also in that um, of um, how you treat your uh, spouse and how you treat your children. It's not just what you think that that commandment only honour your father and your mother. It just means that. So that's what it means here. Now... There's also some advice that St. Nicodemus gives to the spiritual father of how, when he, how to counsel fornicators and adulterers, again from the book of Confession. He says to the priest, if you confess fornicators or adulterers, and fornicators means those who fall into sexual sins, but they're not married, or adulterers, but you are not only to reprimand all of them, showing them that by the carnal passions they lose the nobility of reason and resemble the irrational beasts. But moreover, in order that each of them despise their sin, you must demonstrate for them how damaging to the soul 
fornication and adultery are. And what does he mean by they lose the nobility of reason? God has given human beings a mind that the animals don't have. Animals can do a little bit, but they can't write poetry. Animals cannot do the great things, the noble things that human beings can do. And they are, only human beings can do it because they're creating the image of God. Animals are not. doesn't matter what these animal rights people think that, as, they, as we heard from the shark attack over in Western Australia, that, oh, what was he, the Premier over there or someone wanted to kill the sharks, and they had all these demonstrations all around, and they'll, I even saw a sign saying, sharks are more valuable than humans. So people have lost their minds. That is a blasphemy. God himself said that the whole world is nothing compared to one human soul. In the footnote there, he says, this is how you should speak, he said, to those who have committed fornication. Number one, whoever fornicates, harms and corrupts his body by subjecting it to many and incurable sicknesses. And how true that is now, of course, there was always sexually transmitted diseases even from years ago, and a lot of them weren't curable, like syphilis and a lot of people used to die from all those things, but now we've got... Um, herpes, hepatitis, HIV, AIDS, etc. All these, and a lot of them are incurable and can cause death. And then St. Nicodemus says to quote St. Paul, where he says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will also raise us. And that is, he's saying, just like Christ rose from the dead with a body, we will be raised from the dead with a body. So the body is important, how we treat our bodies. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. Interesting that not only, as we say, the husband and wife become one flesh, but when someone falls with someone else, they are uniting in some way. And But he who is joined to the Lord is, is one spirit with him. And then he goes on, St. Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 13 to 20, he says, flee from sexual immorality. St. Paul's saying, run from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. So all the other sins, if we lie, if we do other things, they're serious and they are, they are serious, and they can cause death too, spiritual death, but they are, you, are, you are ruining your soul. But when you do sexual sins, he says, you're also ruining your body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? 
You do not belong to yourself like those people, women for abortion. I will do what I want. It's my body. Is it? Or others, if I want to fall into sin, I'll do whatever I want. It's my body. But here it says, your body's not yours. You do not belong to yourself. I'll read it again. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You do not belong to yourself, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Both your soul belongs to God and your body belongs to God, is what St. Paul's saying. Therefore, the St. Nicodemus continues after that quote, whoever commits any other sin is an enemy of his soul. According to the saying, Psalm 10, line 5, he who loves unrighteousness hates his own soul. He who loves sin is really, in reality, hates his own soul because you're ruining your soul. But whoever, but whoever fornicates is also an enemy of his body or her body. So that's the only sin where we are uh, ruining our body and soul, while the other sins is just the soul. Number two, whoever fornicates loses their virginity, which is a priceless treasure, and after losing it once, there is no way of ever regaining it. If only that advice was, it would, would be given to children today, not many. I think the Protestants, embarrassing to say, they do a better job because they've got, uh, like many of them, that actually have, have said that, that they've promised that they're going to keep themselves for their marriage, the Protestants. But the Orthodox, I just don't hear it. I don't, even, I don't see many priests encouraging that so that the young people know. So you've got the Orthodox who have the truth, children, the youth, look like old hags and old men with no youthfulness, no beauty on them, ragged, and you see the others that have something on them because at least they're holding themselves for because it's God's commandment. And don't be offended. That, that, is, that is how it is. There is no what we say, uh, a young man or a young woman should be radiant. Their eyes should be radiant. Their faces should be radiant with purity. But when you look at the youth of today, in particular baptised Orthodox, which look worse than the others that aren't baptised, their faces are dark, their eyes are dark, they look old, much older than what they are. St. Basil and St. John Chrysostom delayed being baptised just in case they fell as young men into serious sins and defiled their baptisms. St. Constant the Great delayed his baptism until the end of his life. Today, the young are not told about the importance of not of, defile, of how it's important not to defile their baptism and that sexual sins are especially harmful both to the soul and the body.
So you people as parents or future parents, you need to teach the children about purity. What you teach them from young, it, will, it remains in them. And that's what the Protestants, that's what they do well. They, they do that. They teach their children from young about it. And there are some Orthodox that do it. Not many, but there are some that, that, that do that. What you teach your child stays in them. Stays in them. You look, look at yourself, think about ourselves, and think of what our parents might have said something to us when we were young, whether it was bad or good, but you remember it. So how much more should we be teaching the children about purity and the importance of virginity and not be scared? It's, it's become so bad that I had a, 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 a man who came to me and said, I have a problem, my daughter is living with someone. I said, okay, so what does your spiritual father say? And, and he, he says, oh, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you ask and get some advice? So he rings up the spiritual father and says to him, an intellectual man, very, very intellectual, like a theologian. And he asked him and said, Father, my, my, my daughter's living in, in this way. What should I do? He goes, when you look at it, it doesn't really say anywhere in the Bible or in the thing that it's a sin. And there's another thing, which I'm not going to say this, this, this week, I'll say it in the next talk, where I read on a, on a website where someone wrote to a priest, the website can be anywhere in the world, asking them about certain sins, certain acts, whether they were sinful. And what I read, I think I became paralysed. Why is there such a fear? Why is there a fear to tell the people what is wrong, what's, what's a sin and what's not? Oh, because the people won't listen, some will say. That's not our business. Some of you might not listen today. Some of you might even leave after the break. Have some sandwiches before you go. Some of you might leave. That's okay. But I've done my duty. And I will not give word on the last day. And how do we know if someone's not going to know? How do I know that someone here that's listening could leave today and become very angry and say, what's he saying, and that's stupid, and that's fanatical, and he's an idiot, whatever, 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 and then one or two years later, say, you know, that's true. Because the seed's been thrown. That's what Christ said to his apostles, throw the seeds. And I will do the growing, God said. That's not for me to to make the seed germinate, meaning to take root. My job is to throw the seeds. We will have a break now.
Before I go on, um, just I remembered something as I was talking to John there. Saint Anthony the Great said that the time will come when those who are mad will call those who are normal mad. So today, someone who's saying the things that I'm saying will be considered mad, and the mad consider themselves to be no normal. It's the, the world's turned upside down now. So you have to be aware of that. Number three, where uh, Saint Nicodemus is advising priests what to say to people who are either being tempted to fall or have fallen. And he says that we already mentioned number one. And what was number one? Let's have a look. Number one, he said, was... Um, Oh, yeah, you corrupt your body, make, it causes sicknesses and things like that. And number two was that the, the virginity is precious and once you lose it, you've lost it. And number three, fornication, sexual sins, darkens the intellect of a person and weakens the will so much more than any other sin so as not to allow the unfortunate person committing this sin to return to God and repent. That's very powerful words. Sexual sin, more than other sins, St. Nicodemus says, darkens the mind. But it also weakens the will, where it makes a person weak and unable to struggle towards good unable to come towards God. And he quotes Saint Isidore. There he says, The divine Isidore therefore rightly said this fearful word that, quote, the human race is subject to the devil more through carnal filthiness than any other sin, meaning the sexual bodily sins. The devil has more control over people with that sin and any other. And as I'll be reading to you in the next talk, uh, I'm going to do um, a little bit on the toll houses, which I've, already, which I've already done in talks 46 and 47. And in the toll houses, toll house 16 is fornication, 17 is adultery, and 18 are the unnatural sins. And there the angel speaks to St. Theodora, who was passing through the toll houses, and he said that not many people get through these toll houses. He goes, even if they pass all the other toll houses, all the other sins, but it's very rare. And they were surprised. They said, oh, we're su that the demons were surprised. They go, we're surprised that you've even made it this far up. Um, so where these... People are saying that, um, oh, you know, we. Why does the church talk about sexual sins all the time? And and they even judge. They even judge the the priests who asks questions in confession about sexual sins. A lot of times they're judged as being, oh, there's something wrong with them. Uh, there was a monastery in rush i think that gave out some papers where a lot of the questions there or things were relating to sexual sins obviously other sins too and uh, this made this married priest in america 
write a book saying that uh, that monastics should not be involved, as I said before. Why are they asking only those questions? Maybe they've got problems and they're just interested in other vlakias, as we say in Greek, which is stupidities. The answer is quite obvious. Why? And you're going to see other other things later on, which which are going to be quite shocking to see how 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 serious these sins are. I went through the confession book and I looked at all the sins. There's a, there's a lot of sins there. There's murder, abortion. But yes, a lot of them were to do with sexual sins. But these people want us to believe that that's, ah, that's just another sin, just like if you get a little bit of anger. Or, it's just another sin. Number four, and fornication is so detested by God that it was on this account alone that the catastrophic flood was brought upon the world during the time of Noah, which no one survived except eight people and caused God to regret having made man. So now we get the answer. Again, this was to do with sexual sins, immorality. It says, And fornication is so detested by God that it was on this account alone that the catastrophic flood was brought upon the world, which no one survived except for Noah and the other, his other seven members of his family. And then St. Nicodemus quotes from Genesis chapter 6, line 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, again, be careful that people do not convince you or you convince yourself and say, oh, that's the Old Testament, the Old Testament, we don't take any notice of the Old Testament. Well, if you don't take any notice of the Old Testament, then why then is St. Nicodemus choosing quotes from the Old Testament? Oh, but in the Old Testament it says that if uh, someone does something, you stone them, or you kill them, or you do this, or you do that. That's barbaric. We don't do that. In America, they still use the death penalty. So they look like they're still living in the Old Testament days. No one is saying that people should be killed. We're seeing... What was God's attitude towards certain sins and how did he treat the people of those times? Why does he not say in the New Testament that someone should be killed? But why does he only say it in the Old Testament? Because the people of that time had not developed. They were very blunt. They were very morally low. See, like a child... You've got, you got children. Some children you can say now, the reason why we don't do that is because of that, that and that. And they understand. They've, got, they've developed some of them. Others, a bit like mules, you tell them you don't do that and they don't understand unless you give them a smack. That's the same as the Jews in the Old Testament. They had not developed morally, spiritually. They only understood if you do that, 
then that happens. If you do that, and that happens. We'll see more on that in a minute. That was the way that God chose to rule his people, to teach them and to warn them and to stop them doing sins. Now we go to the next footnote, which is how St. Nicodemus says to spiritualists he should counsel adulterers. Number one, he says to say that adultery is such a great evil that God commands the man and woman committing adultery to be put to death. Again, this is from the Old Testament. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, even he who commits adultery with his neighbour's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Leviticus 20, line 10. And I found another two, which which I just added here. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die so that this evil will be removed from Israel. Now that's important there. That shows us why God chose it in those. So that this evil can be removed. That was the way that they understood. They didn't understand any other language. And it was the only way for the people of that time to be taught to stop the sin. Just like, as I said, in America and other countries where they use death penalties and things like that, they say, this is the way that we use. We believe that this is the way that you uh, deter people from doing murders and things like that. Or in the case of the Indonesians, they believe that that, that the death penalty is the only way that you can stop drugs going into their country. Do not have, that quote I just said before was Deuteronomy 22.22. Now, this is Leviticus 18.20. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbour's wife and defile yourself with her. Let's go to number two. St. Nicodemus continues. What else you can tell people is that if under the old law, the Old Testament, adultery was such a great transgression, then how much greater of a transgression, is it now under the grace of the gospel, meaning in the New Testament times, where marriage has been raised to the honour of a holy mystery. Marriage was not a holy mystery in the Old Testament. That was given in the time when Christ came and marriage was raised to a great mystery compared to the Old Testament. And yet, he says... Therefore, it's even a greater transgression when you commit adultery. For this reason, God angrily said to David that he would never take away evils from his house on account of the adultery which he committed. Now, some of you aren't aware that that King David was on his house, was on his palace roof, and he noticed a woman that was bathing or something like that, and he, in his heart, he felt lust towards her, and he wanted her. So as king, he sent his, her husband to uh, go fight somewhere that he knew would be killed so that he could then have her. So he, he ordered that the um, woman's husband be sent away, which he did get killed, and he fell with her. So he, he was guilty of two sins, murder and adultery. Because of the sin that he did, it says here, now therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite 
to be your wife. So God said that the sword, divine punishment, sufferings shall not depart from your house because you have committed adultery. That is in two kingdoms for the Orthodox Bible or two Samuel for the other versions of the Bible. Chapter 12, line 10. And we're going to see later on that disasters come into houses of today when this sin is committed. Disasters to the family, to the children, the whole thing becomes upside down. So let's remember what we read before. Do you not know, says says St Paul, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, number three. Every adulterer is called a son of death, as David said by himself to Nathan. Now, Nathan was the prophet, and he was called by God to bring David to repentance. If I, I mean, I don't know the story properly. I'm not very good with the Old Testament, but something along those lines. And prophet Nathan said a story to King David, and... David, in response to that story, says, oh, that man should be killed um, for what he did. And then the prophet Nathan said to him, "Uh, this story is to do with you. It's what you did. You you did um, similar by by committing adultery. This is what Saint uh, David said. He says, as the Lord lives... The man who has done this shall surely die. And Prophet Nathan said, you're talking about yourself. So you yourself say that that man should die, so should you. Number four, and that every robbery and theft, when compared to adultery, is like the Mediterranean Sea compared to the whole ocean of the world. Like a dwarf compared to a great giant. What does that mean? If you compare someone who stole something and someone who's committed adultery, the person who stole something is like uh, the Mediterranean Sea and the person who did adultery is like the whole ocean of the world. Solomon also said, now in Solomon, chapter 6, lines 20 to 35, I'm going to read, I'm not going to spend too much time, I don't want anything, but there's something good, it's about adulterers. And he says... It's in Proverbs. It says, My son, keep your father's commandment and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you keep God's commandments in our, in, in our, on, on, um, on our minds. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way of to life, keeping you from your neighbour's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute 
can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. What does that mean? If, you, if a man falls with a prostitute, they pay some money and they fall, which is still wrong, obviously. But when you fall with another person's wife, then it's going to cost you, or could cost you, your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet, if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold. That's the, that was the Old Testament. Though it costs him all the wealth of his house. Okay, he stole. He, he, um, the, the, the law was that he's got to pay back seven times if it means to sell his own house. Uh, but a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and disgrace he will get, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensa compensation. He will refuse a bribe, however great it is. That is chapter 6 of Solomon, 20 to 35, which is, of course, and that's true. You hear it continually in the news. They even have crime shows, all these all to do with um, uh, a man who uh, found out or that his, that his girlfriend, because we've now got partners or, or wife, fell with someone else, then... What do we see? They throw acid in their faces to disfigure them. They can kill the, um, the, the, the boyfriend or the husband. They can stage a suicide. And that dreaded um, life insurance. They take a life insurance on you, a million dollars or something, and then get someone to kill you. They pay someone, five, ten thousand. And that's it. They get the life insurance. It goes on continually and vice versa now because women are doing the same. I saw uh, a show called 2020 where it's an American show. A woman found out that her husband was cheating and she got some hitmen and she said, um, because she didn't know they were undercover police anyway, but, that, but a, lot, a lot of times it does happen. And uh, she offered them whatever it was, five, ten thousand, 10,000, and says, I, I want you to kill her, the mistress, not, 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 the, um, not my husband, because I want to be able to go to the funeral of her, I want to see him suffer, and I want to be able to spit on her grave. I don't know what he was, she was saying there, just really evil things. So Solomon wasn't far off, was he? But of course he only said about the men. He forgot about the women of the, of the 21st century. See, women want so much to be like men. That's what feminism is about. They want to be so much like men. And they've become like men. Brutish, cold, and a desire for killings and things like that. 
Anyway, I'm sure a lot of you have heard all about it in the news and things like that. There was a, a, a public phone that the police were tapping here in somewhere, I think it was New South Wales, for some other case that they were doing. And by, by coincidence, a man went to that phone that wasn't the man that was in this particular investigation, but it was just the man that just came, used the phone, who rang up his girlfriend who was planning to kill his own, to kill his wife. He says, what we'll do is I'll take her to the beach, I'll put her hand under the water, it'll look like she's drowned, that's it. And the police heard it, warned the woman, and he went to jail. All the time. Whether it's now, it's not even if you've committed adultery, innocent people, innocent, oh, sorry, it's not that the person that they want to kill has committed adultery. They themselves say, I don't want her or him in my way. I'll just collect my, the life insurance and go and live with someone else. See what adultery does? Tell adulterous spiritual father that even to the Gentiles, to the pagans, adultery seemed an unforgivable evil. Even to the pagans of the Roman and Greek empires. For this reason, adulterers were punished greatly. During the time of the Romans, the Egyptians, for example, cut off the nose of the adulteress and beat the adulterer with a staff 1,000 times. The Locrians, or something, I can't, I don't know what that word is, blinded adulterers back in their times. And the Cretonians burned adulterers. These are all pagan people. And God appointed a fearful curse for adulterers by saying, quote, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, and, and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in fire, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel and committed adultery with their neighbours' wives. So, Again, we're not going to get someone who committed adultery and roast them in fire, even though some people do do that. What, what, what the church is saying is these examples from the Old Testament, these examples from the pagan kingdoms, show us how uh, pagans looked at adultery, but also how God did not want people, the, the Jews of those times, to be doing that sin. The other fellow, too, by the way, um, again, wasn't even to do with adultery. He just wanted to, maybe his wife wanted to leave him, I think. Maybe she found another guy, I don't know. So the way he did the revenge was to get his three boys and drive them off into water and drown them. So that way his wife can suffer. So today, even if you want to leave someone, sometimes it can be hard. You could be actually losing your life. Now we go to the canons regarding adultery and divorce. Remember, I'm not saying that these are the canons that should be applied to this extent, but I think, as the spiritual fathers say, they, they, when, they, when a person comes to them, they say, um, and they've confessed that they've committed adultery, the spiritual father says, you know, um, my child, listen, the, the, proper, the proper penance for such a sin, according to saint such and such and counsel such and such, is, let's have a look, Canon 20 
of Ankara prohibits an adulterer from communion for seven years. Canon 58 of St. Basil the Great, 15 years. Canon 4 of St. Gregory of Nyssa, 18 years. Canon 98 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council penances the man who takes a woman engaged to another man as an adulterer. Canon 8 of Neocasaria says that if a man's wife commits adultery, that man cannot become a priest. If that, that is, if after her adultery he comes together with her. Now some of you are going to be shocked. And I want you to learn from this not to react when you hear the things of the church and understand that these were inspired by God himself. And it's not for us. Who are we to come up and say, oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, if a woman has an, uh, a miscarriage, strictly speaking, it could be a year penance. Oh, I don't, that, that, I don't agree with that. That's, that's not right. It's not her fault or whatever. But why then did the, does the church give these things? Even though they don't keep them to the, such extent. In Greece they do, but not to that. They might give a few months, three months, four months, five months. I, I don't know but they give something. Why does the church do that? And who are we to come along, or the priests, to come along and say, oh, that's, no, I don't agree with that. So let's read that again. If a priest's wife falls into adultery, he, and, he, and he wants to remain a priest, he has to get rid of her. If he had sex with her without knowing after she committed adultery, he can no longer be a priest. These are canons because it says that he's been defiled through mingling with her after she committed the adultery. If a priest's wife commits adultery, he must either cease from the priesthood if he wants to keep her as a wife or he can leave her and keep his priesthood. Before, that is, coming together after the act of adultery. Now, we all have to learn, if we don't want to be blasphemers and we don't want to be under the anathema of the church, that we have no right and we should have fear to judge what the fathers who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And remember, a lot of these were canons that were recognised universally by the whole church, in particular the Sixth Ecumenical Council, but all of St Basil's canons are recognised universally as being God-inspired and absolutely true. Now, whether they, we can keep to those years, obviously not. But at the same time, we don't reject them we don't throw them and we don't to the side and we don't say, I don't agree with that. I spoke to a woman the other day that she was, um, she saw, a, she met a priest somewhere. And the priest said to her, I believe that the Roman Catholic Church has mysteries. I don't want to teach people disrespect. But I would have said personally, as a priest, I would have said, look, I don't give a stuff what you believe. I don't care what you believe. Who are you to say what you believe? Who are you? I believe 
Did he quote any Holy Father saying that? No. But I can quote him thousands of Holy Fathers that do say that there is no mysteries in the, in the, in the other churches. Who, who is he? I was watching a video once of, a, of another priest from America who was doing a, of some, a series of videos on history. And he came to, the, to a, a great theologian of the church, however, but he fell into heresy, origin. He's not recognised as a holy father. A lot of his writings were good, but he did fall into heresy. And he was in the fifth, I think, ecumenical council, six, I can't remember, he was anathematised for that heresy. So this Goanna comes up and says, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with what they did. Can you see the arrogance? Can you see the demonic energy? I don't agree with that. He is going against the fathers of the fifth and I think it was reconfirmed in the Sixth Ecumenical Council. So this other fool comes along and says to this woman, no, um, I don't agree with that. You hear this all the time. And these are from priests. Oh, there is no hell. God's got love. And they quote, and the way they put it all together... Even, I, think, I don't think even the devil could do a better job. When, when, when um, Christ was on the mount, what did the devil use? Quotes. Quotes. He was quoting from the Bible to, to Christ and saying, if, you're, if you are the, the son of God, then throw yourself down. He was quoting more and then Christ would quote back. But quotes, that's what these people use. He quotes and emotional things. Oh, the church, he said, today has got nasty priests. I said, what, Nazi? Couldn't understand what she was saying. No, nasty, nasty priests. What does that mean? He goes, priests that have no love because they uh, talk about dogma, etc., etc., and they've got no love. So all the Holy Fathers... who confess the truth and prefer to die so as not to change one eye, have no love. But these people come along and they've got love. Be very careful. Times are very, very difficult. So, by reading these canons, I'm not saying exactly how they should be applied. All I know is that they're not applied to that strictness now even though there are many bishops who stick to the one with the do with the priests. Metropolitan Augustine of Greece, of Florina, for a fact, he would not ordain any man who had fallen in any way. He wouldn't do it. He kept that rule. If his wife had fallen before, he wouldn't do it as well. If he had fallen, he wouldn't do it. If they did something together that was, un- that was uncanonical, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make them. He wouldn't make him a priest.
Canon 87 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council says, it has been canonically decreed by our fathers that those guilty of causing a divorce shall serve as weepers, crying. Serve a year as weepers, two years as listeners, three years as kneelers, and during the seventh year shall stand together with the faithful and thus be deemed worthy to partake of Holy Communion if indeed they verily repent. Now that means that the way that the church used to handle adulterers, let's just say the seven-year one. Again, we're not going to do that now to that extent, but at least people should know. This is how it was done. Okay, seven years, no communion. The first year, you are to, I don't know how they did it, stand outside the church and, and, and weep. The, then for two years after that, listeners, I think they're allowed to stand at the back of the, in the back of the church so they can hear a little bit of the church services. I'm not sure exactly how they work. And then three years as kneelers, where they were allowed to come, I think, further in, but on their knees so that when people would come out of the church, they'd be on their knees and asking forgiveness. And on the seventh year, they were allowed to stand in the church for one year, and then after that, if they've repented with tears, then they were allowed to commune. We'd, is that going to be done now? You'd be taken to court. However, however, why shouldn't people know? Why shouldn't people know? Today, willy-nilly, oh, I left. I left my husband, I left my wife. Why? Did they commit adultery? No. Why? Oh, sick and tired of my husband. He never showed me love. And he didn't take out the garbage. And as for the other, the, 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 um, the, um, the man about the woman says, oh, she became old. I felt like some, you know, fresh blood. So you just dumped her. Yeah. And then they go to church and they're allowed to marry now, St. Nicodemus says that in, in regard to divorce, there's equality. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Both the same. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because there was a custom of the church, says St. Nicodemus, to allow the man authority to divorce his wife when he finds her fornicating with another, but not to let a woman divorce her husband, even though she found him to be committing adultery. If, on the other hand, she should divorce him on the grounds of fornication or adultery, and he, being unable to suffer, should marry, meaning suffer that he couldn't hold himself sexually, so he wanted to get married a second time, the first woman who divorced him has the sin, whereas the husband deserves a pardon for having married a second time, and his second wife is not condemned as an adulteress. So a man commits adultery, the woman leaves. Therefore, he, according to the canon, he should not be allowed to get married again. But what he's saying here is that the laws, which I'll tell you why, were such a way that he would be allowed to get married and not be called an adulterer against Christ's words. As if you... Do If you marry someone else, you, you are committing adultery, and the person who you marry is committing adultery. And this custom, which came into the church from the Roman civil law, is not accepted by St. Gregory, St. Basil, etc. So what happened was that the, the Byzantine Empire 
some of its laws were influenced by the Romans. Because remember, the Roman Empire then became the Christian Empire, and a lot of their laws stayed. And, there was, and the law, St. Nicodemus says, was biased. They were written by men. He says here, by the way, custom, not, not, not canons, because canons were equal. If a man or a woman, they're equal. But customs, just like in during the Turkish time with the Greeks, the Turks never allowed a woman to divorce. And that influenced Greeks such that a woman wasn't allowed to divorce. And today there's a lot of influence. That's why the church is in a very bad situation because we live in Australia, for example. And Australia allows divorces, allows this, allows this, let people can get married, do whatever they want. And therefore the church is in a difficult position of how to apply a lot of these things because then it's like it's going against the Australian laws. Because, say, the church says, no, you're not allowed to divorce. You shouldn't divorce or you shouldn't remarry. They just go, and, they just go to the um, civil marriage and they said, now we're married. So we have to realise that, that, that the church is influenced sometimes in a wrong way as it was back in those days. But St Basil, St Gregory, all them, they said, this is wrong. It's equality. If a man commits adultery, it's bad. And if a woman commits adultery, it's equally bad. One is not worse than the other. Both are the same. Now, what happens to the innocent spouse? Canon 87 of the Sixth Ecumenical Council says, when a divorce results from adultery, then the innocent party may remarry. The one who didn't commit the adultery... They're allowed to remarry. What's the interpretation for that? It says, if therefore it should appear that a wife has departed from her husband without a good reason, that is adultery, the husband deserves to be pardoned on the ground that he was not the cause of this unreasonable departure of his wife and he can take another wife. So if a woman leaves her husband, or vice versa, but if the woman leaves her husband but not because he committed adultery, he didn't do anything, then he is allowed to, be, to remarry. She's not. So the innocent party is allowed. But the wife, on the contrary, deserves the penances attached to the commission of adultery on the ground that she became the cause of the departure, even if she leaves not to commit adultery, but she just leaves the man. So you've got a man and a wife. The wife says, I don't want to be with you. I know you didn't commit adultery, but I just don't want to be with you. I'm leaving. But she doesn't commit adultery. She just leaves. It says that the canons say that she should be still guilty of an adulteress, even though she didn't commit it, because she split the marriage up. Because she has become the cause of the departure. The pardon which the husband shall receive is that he may stand along with the faithful, the innocent party now, in the church and not be excommunicated, though he's not entitled to partake of the divine mysteries. Now we come to the dilemma. This is interesting. The innocent party can marry, but they're not allowed to commune. Now how can that be? Does anyone know? How can that be? Well, 
We did this in talk 55. Don't know, but at least you're not shouting and throwing chairs and pulling your hair. That's the main thing. How does electricity work? I don't really know. I know, I know from, from the physics I bit I did, electricity is a flow of electrons. Oh, what does that mean? I don't know. Do I care? I've got light. <laughs> I still, there's, there's the light. Do I say, I don't understand it. I can't understand how electricity works. So because of that, I'm going to smash my head on this and I'm just going to turn them off. I don't want to have anything to do with them. That's silly. That's the same as people. That's what they do. They go, I don't understand the cannons. It's not fair. It's not right. Let's throw them all away. Be humble. We have to be humble and say, well, that's what the fathers wrote. There must be a reason for it. Who am I? Like, who am I, as, a, as they say in Greek, like a kuchulia, like a bird dropping? Who are we <laughs> to come along and say, I don't agree? That's not right. Why shouldn't he commune? A man, it says in the canons, who upset his wife, shouted at her, and she had a miscarriage, must be penanced, the same as a murderer, and therefore he cannot become a priest. There's another one. People say, well, that's not fair. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hit her. I didn't do anything. I just shouted at her. But you're the cause. The canons are there for reasons. Well, let's have a look. Let's have a look. What? Why? Let's have a look. Maybe it's written wrong. We'll see. Saint Nicodemus writes: Someone who enters into a second marriage, according to Canon Four of Saint Basil the Great, is impeded from the divine mysteries for one or two years. That means a person who's going to have a second marriage cannot commune for one or two years, strictly speaking. According to Canon Two of Saint Nicephorus, they are neither to be crowned during their second marriage. Ceremony, and according to Canon 5 of Neocasaria, neither is the priest who blessed them to eat at their table. And a third marriage is called tra a transgression by Gregory the Theologian. Canon 4 of St. Basil calls it po polygamy. The 80th canon calls it worse than fornication for a third marriage. And his 50th canon calls it the shame and defilement of the church. In other words, they do it but it's the, they, the church hates it, one can say. Canon 4, of, that's for the third marriage. Canon 4 of St. Basil excommunicates those who marry for the third time for five years from communion. Even, now, let's wait, five years. And that uh, says there that those being married for the first time are engaged, blessed and crowned. Those being married for the second time are only engaged and blessed and not crowned. Those, that's why they don't wear the crowns even though they still do it today, so as not to upset people. Those getting married a third time are only engaged and this by allowance, but they are neither blessed nor crowned. And these are to do with the innocent party, not those who committed the adultery, 
those who didn't commit the adultery, because those who committed the adultery, what does the canon say? They can never get married, strictly speaking. I mean, they still do it now, but strictly speaking, they should never get married. Now, if people know that, if people knew all this, they go, oh, didn't know it was that serious. I just thought if I get married, have a nice wedding, and if I don't like it, have a, maybe, one or, maybe one or two children, 80% of the house, and off I go. I never knew that the church looks at it like this. So why? Why are these, the innocent party, not allowed to commune, strictly speaking? And remember that St. Nicodemus wrote these, when he put the, his confession book together, which he uses the old, the old canons, he put it together a few hundred years ago. So some people say, oh, they were written, St. Basil's were written 1,600 years ago. Yeah, but St. Nicodemus still says that they should be applied. But again, not with the same strictness, perhaps. But today, people don't even know about it. So look at that there. Second marriages, one to two years for the innocent party. And third marriages, uh, five years, no communion. So let's have a look. What is Archimandrite Father Vasilios there? He, he explains it. And I've got a quote from St. Nicodemus. St. Basil, St. Sorry, uh, the Archimandrite says, a theologian there, he goes, a second marriage is inferior simply because it is not completely pure. Why? There is a certain degree of adultery involved. As a, as a result, this marriage is not praised. This is why the church applies penances for second marriages and does not ordain as priests people who have been married twice. So if a man's been married twice, he can never become a priest. Neither does the church allow priests to marry twice. If as a priest, in other words, their wife died, he cannot get married. If he wants to get married, he has to give up the priesthood. One marriage. Why? Because both situations are considered a fall. A priest must always stand up for the truth of this. In the Orthodox Church, there is really only one marriage that is honourable, pure and holy. That's the first one, because what did God say? That he who made male and female and said to come together and the two shall become one. That's the law. The others are, for the second marriage, it's out of need um, as a second chance. There's got to be repentance. That's why the marriage service is not supposed to be joyous as the first service. And as for the third one, we read, we read all about that in Talk 55. Now let's see what St. Nicodemus says. The authority who put these, all these canons together for us and made comments commentaries. When such an impure condition, adultery, has developed between a husband and wife, it is by God's permission and as a result of previous sins that it has happened. And let everyone examine his own conscience and he will find out, find our words true. So St. Nicodemus is saying, for adultery to occur in a marriage, even the innocent party can have some guilt there for it to have occurred. 
Now you might say, but why is that person guilty? It's the other that did it. That's the secret, isn't it? Why is that person partly guilty? I ask the question, did the, did the innocent party pray for their partner? Did the innocent party perhaps do some sins which upset the whole marriage? Did the two of them do some unnatural things together which is a cause of most divorces today? Hmm? The husband's wife leaves, commits adultery, leaves. The husband's left behind. He goes, but I didn't do anything. She, 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 she left. She went with another man. Did you look at pornography every night and make God's grace leave your marriage? Was magic involved in your house? Did you force your wife to have an abortion? Did the wife have an abortion because she wanted to as well? Whatever. See, uh, I did nothing. Okay. Now I'm going to go on to some beautiful examples to do with um, adultery. How can that be beautiful? And you'll see why in a minute. Oh, before we go on, is there, are there any questions up to what we've done? Yes? As a hypothetical, couldn't we argue that in previous centuries when the, the canons and the penances were, were applied more vigorously than they are today, that people in society, as a result of that, had a higher awareness of the, the seriousness of, of these sins and the ramifications that they faced? Whereas today, when they're not applied the way they used to be, people don't have that awareness and that direct. It's very, yeah, that's right. How can you apply them a lot of times when people don't even know it's wrong? Yeah, well, it's sort of a catch 22, isn't it? That's right, but that's where you've got to cultivate. You've got to teach them, like I'm doing tonight. So I'm, 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 so I'm educating one can say. I'm telling people this is what the church teaches. Now, if someone leaves here later on in six months' time and one year time, knowing all that and says, I'm leaving my wife or my husband, well, don't you think that, the, that those canons should be applied a bit more strictly to those people that know? Unlike others, they could have left. Okay, the marriage is finished. It's gone. They didn't know about it. And people were, back in those days, people were more spiritual. Today it's like, you know, people say, I wonder what it was like in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. How was it like? What does it mean? How? It's today. It's exactly the day. All the unnatural sins. Sins between men and men, and men with women, women with women, husbands and wives. We will see, like in the next talk, like the, 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 these sins are very serious, especially when it's done between an orthodox man and an orthodox woman. It's worse than the sins that homosexuals do. That's how the church considers it. A, a husband and wife orthodox who are committing unnatural sins, it's worse it's in, the, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of God, than even the sins that the homosexuals do. That's how the church looks at it. That, we have to realise that. Because the Orthodox should know that. Because the Orthodox and they're baptised. So even though a man and a woman are having sex together in the marriage, they're baptised and they have that's that's within the law of God. But when they do these other things, we start to 
what's called defile the baptism, and it's very, very serious, unlike others who are outside the church, and especially between America. But we'll do that more next time, because I want to talk about the sexuals, because some people say, oh, sex is dirty. No. Sex outside of God's law is bad. But more about that later. Okay, we'll have a three-minute break and then come back quickly. As I mentioned, I've got some examples from holy books, from saints, specifically to do with adultery, and we'll see how the saints dealt with them in a practical way. I just read a lot of canons, which I hope didn't confuse you. And don't become offended when I use the word, for example, like we... When I say that, I consider myself as well. We have no right to judge the canons. The only thing is that we... Yes, it's hard to apply them, as we just heard, strictly, but it's good to know them because that gives us humility. There are a lot of canons, for example, about priests in there. And when I read them, I go, I don't, I'm not like that. I don't have that virtue of what they're saying there. And that's humbling. It, gives, it makes me humble to say, well, that's not the priest should be like up, up here. But I'm not like that. So that's, but I shouldn't, why should I throw them away? Why should I say, oh, no, I'm not going to apply. They were for the old days. See, that's what the Roman Catholics did. They dropped standards. See, they say fasting, too difficult for, 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 the, for the people. So they just threw, threw out the fasting. The Orthodox Church has not thrown out. The fasting rules are there, as you notice from the calendar, no, all that day, this, that, that. The rules are still there, but people can't maybe live up to that. But at least they can say, this is the way it should be, I look at that and say, I can't do it. God forgive me, I can't live that, that way. See, it gives humility. But when we throw them all out, then, then that doesn't uh, help us to have humility. And that's why when you water everything down, then there's nothing great to look at as an example. Things that give us humility is good. Now, this comes from the life of Saint Seraphim of Viritsa. Uh, he's a saint who reposed in 1949 in Russia. When people had problems in their family life, but, they, but there existed the possibility for the family to be saved, the older tried to convince the spouses not to rush to make the final decision, in other words, of divorce, but to pray and, that, and he would pray for them. There's just, just that first example, if we take that only and go home tonight, look what that he says there. People are ready to separate. And he would say to them, don't separate, pray. And I'll pray for you. So in other words, people have got marital problems. They should pray about the situation and seek others who can pray. Leave names at monasteries who, do, who serve every day. With the monastics, for example. That's what people do. Ring up a monastery, leave your name, write an email, 
dear fathers, dear sisters, whatever, please help. Our marriage is in a shambles, pray. They can commemorate in the liturgy, which many of the monasteries do every day, especially in Greece and even though there's a lot in America now. And the prayers of a righteous person, as St. James says, availeth much. In other words, great things can come out of prayers of those who are leading spiritual lives. Tatiana T. describes the following. Immediately after the war, my husband began going with another woman. We had great poverty, the children didn't have enough to eat, and my husband wasted all the money with the other woman. I went to Father Seraphim, I entered his cell and broke into tears. He gave me two candies. Take these for your children. He was silent for a bit and then told me, why was he silent? Obviously, pray. The saints always pray before they say something. They think, pray, asking for God's enlightenment, especially when something's as serious as this. He prayed, so it says here, do not chase your husband away from the house. Don't swear at him, but pray to God. Now, this is interesting because Christ said that for reasons of, of adultery, you can divorce your wife, your husband or wife. But he's saying for her, for her to stay. And we have to look at why he's doing that. Isn't that going against Christ's commandments? Then he said something that I did not expect at all. He said, you will build a beautiful house. At, that, at the time, we were living in a house which resembled a stable much more than a house. So he, this woman couldn't understand what this, what, what this elder saying. I listened to him and began praying both for my husband and for the woman who separated us. After a little while, my husband left and returned to the family. We also built a house. The land and the building material were we got almost for free. With Father Seraphim's prayers, I am still living there today with my husband. That's um, an interesting story from the life of saints. But that might be a one-off. Is that what other saints believe? Let's have a look at another one. Now, from the life of Starit Siloanos or Siloan, he is um, he became a monk at the monastery of uh, the monastery Pandalaimon in Manathos, and he passed away in 1938. They have his relics there, his, his skull, which I was there once for a vigil service. And as I've mentioned before, the, the fragrance that was coming, it was, so, it was a, a, one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was, I think it was his feast day. Now, Simeon was Starit Siluanos's, Saint Siluan's lay name, just before he became a monk. So during, this, during the time of Simeon's military service, he came across a soldier who was due for discharge. The soldier was sitting on his bed in a sad state. Simeon went up to him and said, What's the matter? Why do you sit there with your head in your hands instead of being glad? Like everybody else, that you've done your service and now you're going home. I've just got a letter from home, was the soldier's reply. They write that my wife has had a child while I was away. He was silent for a moment, then he shook his head, and in a low voice, in which grief mixed with anger, 
and injured pride, he mumbled, I'm scared what I'll do to her. That's why I don't want to go home. See the, 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 the revenge, what he'll do to her, but what he can also do to the, the man that got her pregnant. Simeon asked him quietly, and you, since you left home, how many times have you been to the house down the street? So Saint, the, 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 the saint's trying to say, you want to kill her because she fell with someone, but while you were, while you were in the army, you would go to the brothel. It's equality. It's a sin. It doesn't matter if it's a man that does it or a woman does it. It's equal in God's eyes. In the ancient world and in many other cultures, the man was looked at favourable. He could do whatever he wanted. So we've got the feminists and the modernists today and they all go on and on and say, the church, the church, the church is anti-woman and anti-this. But it was the church, it was Christ himself which said, no, both are guilty. Not the man can do what he wants but the woman has to have a high standard. Both. Oh, and the church puts the woman down, Really? After God, we have the mother of God, who's a woman, who's venerated by millions and millions and millions of Christians all over the world and from, from, from centuries for 2,000 years. Well, said the soldier, as if just remembering, there has been some times that I did go to the house down the street. You see, you couldn't wait. Do you think it was easy for her? It's all right for you, you're a man, but once is enough to get her in trouble. In other words, you can fall and you can hide it, but if a woman falls, one accident and she becomes pregnant. Um, remember what you've done. You're more in the wrong than she is. Forgive her, go home, accept the child as your own, and and you'll see everything will be all right. And a few months later, Simeon got a letter of thanks from the soldier who had taken his advice. And that's a second example of what appears to be contrary to God's law, which says that a man can leave his wife if she's committed adultery and, 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 the, and the opposite. So then we've got Father John Christiankin, where he says to someone, yes, she repented, and the Lord forgave her, but her husband, who has also fallen more than once and knows the weakness of nature, has forgiven himself while calling her strictly to account. So Father John saying to this man that, yes, your wife fell into adultery and she repented and God forgave her, but you also fell. And you know how hard it was and the temptations that occur. But why are you saying that you demand from her that she shouldn't have fallen, but for you it's okay because whatever. So Father John Christiankin is bringing that beautiful, the equality again. It's the same. Father, now number four, again from the letters of Father John Christiankin, he says, I do not know what you would like to hear in answer from me. I can only testify that neither you nor your wife are thinking about your future. 
uh, or about the fact that life is short and eternity lies ahead. So what's he, why is he saying that? He says, think, life is short and we have the next life. But you're not thinking about that with what you're doing. Let's see what, what they were doing. Both you and she had relations with other people and you talk about it so calmly without the least shadow of disturbance or repentance. So they both fell with other people. They talk about it as if it's nothing. Similar to today, isn't it? I would say to you that it's, a, it's high time for you to awake from your sinful sleep, time for you to think about yourselves. If your wife does not think about restoring the family, then do not prevent her from divorcing and have your church marriage absolved by the bishop. In other words, she's got to stop, you've got to stop. He's not telling them to divorce. On the television, on films, it's, there's, there's, there is a continual joking about falling with others, making jokes about it and things like that, pushing to destroy marriage. The devil hates marriage. And all these jokes and, and these films of people having affairs and how beautiful it is and how they found true love and all these stupidities that they do, all is where people watch these things, they get ideas, it opens up the doors for them to do the same. See, in the old days, the devil had to use our imagination to make us to fall. So he would come, try and get in our minds and give us ideas. Why don't you fall? Why don't you fall? Oh, that woman's nice, that man's nice. Fall. But now he, he's, he doesn't have to work as hard because what he does now, he says, oh, just use the films, just use the music. Just use the internet. People are getting all the ideas. One of the, as I've said before, I read one of the biggest reasons for divorce today, which I live in, in America, I think they did some, some studies over there, was the um, Facebook. That a lot of people are falling with other people because, through Facebook. I'm, just, I'm dealing now with a married couple, or one with, with, with the man more, a few children, three, four, whatever, and um, she wants to leave. He didn't, he didn't commit adultery. She just wants to leave. And the first thing he told me when he rang me was that um, it looks like she's met someone on Facebook. So let's go on with this letter here. Only then will you become free and can think about starting a new family. But for now, you are not divorced so do not destroy your life with mortal sins. According to patristic canons, the initiator of a family breakup should remain alone, but the offended one may start a new family. So both of them did commit adultery, but they were still together. He's saying, you both got to stop. If you stop, and you want to keep the marriage, that's good. If she doesn't want to stop and she wants to leave, let her leave. Only then can you have a second marriage because you didn't break the marriage. Even though they committed adultery, both of them, they were still together. And now we have 
Saint Father John Christiankin, the spiritual father of Russia, who just died a few years ago in 2007. So it's not like these modern priests say, oh, Saint Nicodemus, he's backward. Ah, that was in those times. He's quoting canons. And which canons is he quoting? The canons I just read earlier on. And he said, only the innocent party, one can say, the one who, di- the one who didn't cause the breakup can get married a second time, but the one who left shouldn't get married. So that's good, isn't it? That Father John is quoting the canon and he's saying exactly that. See how it's important to find these? Because if I say it, or if St. Cosmas says it, who lived about 300 years ago, whatever, whatever it was, or if St. John Christopher, oh, that was in those times, all the time. They've always got satanic logic. So for the Russians, for example, we have one of their own, who they acknowledge as being a holy person. Pray for your daughter. She has been sent to a school that I would not wish for anyone. It would be hard for her to step upon the path to salvation after such a school, and I do not know if it will even be possible. What's that got to do with the topic today? Nothing. Why'd I put it in? To show you that, uh, just a little side thing, because you know I'm against especially heretical schools, Catholic schools, Protestant schools, like Orthodox people sending their school, them there. And I don't know what school he's, he's referring to, but he's saying, and, I, and it's actually well said, he goes, the school that, she, that your daughter's going to is so bad that I, it will be hard for her to step upon the path to salvation after such a school. Isn't that the majority of schools today where they're learning corruption? But parents say, well, yeah, they are learning bad things, but at least my child will go to university or go and get a good job. As for what they learn in, whether they learn that homosexuality is normal, whether they believe that, you know, surrogates and all these other things that, you can, that, that people are doing today, but feminism, doesn't matter as long as my son or my daughter have a great, uh, get a good career. But St John Chrysostom says it's not important, the education, to that extent. This is St John Chrysostom, not me. St. John Christopher says, what's the most important is that you bring up your child in virtue. And parents today are failing for that, and parents today will give word for that. Because those children that people have are not their children. God has given those children as alone and said, Here are the children, bring them up as Christians as Orthodox Christians, teaching them. And that should be your first priority. Education should be down on the line. doesn't mean you ignore, because that's a sin too, that you should always teach your children trades and education. But today it's the opposite. So today it's up there and that's there. That should put that in. But point of actual fact, I think I do it every talk. And in point of actual fact, I won't stop doing it. Right? I will do it every single talk. Uh, St. Cosmas of Aetolia shares the same spirit where he says, if he does not divorce her, his soul will be rewarded. So if a man does not divorce his wife for reasons of adultery, and as I said, the opposite, vice versa, he says that, then he says, 
his soul will be rewarded. This is very strange things today because because Christ said that for reasons of adultery, a person can divorce. So we have to really understand what's going on here. Now, from the, from the life of St. Paul the Simple, March the 7th, wonderful example. St. Paul was an Egyptian by birth. He was a contemporary of St. Anthony the Great, living during the 3rd century and 4th century. He was a farmer, and his character was that of a simple man, free of any malice, like he didn't have hate and things like that for people. St. Paul had a beautiful wife in appearance only, who was wicked in her deeds and conduct. She had been committing adultery, but managed to keep it hidden for the longest time possible. So it was going on for a while. And from what I read from the life, it would seem that St. Paul suspected that his wife was being unfaithful and was hoping to confirm this. They didn't confront her. He would pray to God to be enlightened. Is she doing it? Interesting way, isn't it? One day, of course, some people don't pray to God to find out. They go to private detectives. And once they've done that, then they pay someone to, to kill them. So it's not, very, not a very safe world we live in. One day, when his wife was not expecting him home, St. Paul went into his house from the field where he had been working. He found her in the act of sin with another man. Laughing softly to himself, he said, Fine, fine, this means that she is no longer any responsibility of mine. In Jesus' name, I won't take her back. Take her with you, he said to the man, and her children, for I am leaving to become a monk. He then left his wife, children and property, and went off into the depths of the desert where St. Anthony lived and became a monk under his guidance, and he became one of the greatest Fathers of the Egyptian desert. Saint Anthony the Great looked up to him. Now, what's going on here? So we have others that are told to stay. This one leaves. Why didn't he forgive her? Well, I thought to myself, let's see what St. Nicodemus says, again in the Rudder, in his notes, where he explains, this is a footnote for Canon 48 of the Holy Apostles, and when I read this, I said, this is the answer. And I'd like to share it. Let's see what it says. It says uh, he says, so, th- so that... As Zonaras says in his interpretation, I think as an ancient who, person who interpreted many of the canons and recognised by the church, uh, as, so that as Zonaras, I think, says in his interpretation of canons 9 and 21 of St. Basil, a man is not forced to keep his adulterous wife if he does not want to do so. But if he wants her... He may, without prejudice, keep her and live with her. What am I saying without prejudice? St. Nicodemus is saying, what am I saying? How could, what's, what's this without prejudice? It's like he's saying, oh, it's not bad. But it is bad because you're going against Christ's commandments. So if, if a man wants to or a woman wants to, to keep their spouse, 
They can, they can keep them. And he's saying, what, what are we saying here? Why? That man is to be praised and to be esteemed very wise indeed who takes his wife back even after she committed a fornication, adultery, on the promise, though, that she will not sin any more. And he gives for two reasons. He gives two reasons why this is so. First, on account of the love and sympathy he has thus shown to, for his own flesh. I mean, for his own wife. So what St. Nicodemus is saying is the, the two shall become one flesh. So when you, as, as we read, as we heard in some earlier talks, it says, when you hate your wife, you hate yourself because she's your flesh. When, you, when the wife hates her husband, she hates herself because she hates her own flesh because they are one. So Saint Nicodemus is saying here that if he shows sympathy to her and love to her, then he's showing sympathy and love for his own flesh because she's part of him. And just as it is the part of a wise man when any of his members are, is wounded or injured, not to cut it off, but to make it his business to give medical treatment, so too is it part of a wise man when his own member sins, whether, which is to say his own wife, not to divorce her. So just as a person who has something wrong with part of his body, for example, like say my hand, and you don't just say, okay, my hand's not working, probably cut it off. Because you don't cut it off, you go and get medical help to try and heal it. And that's the same when a man and a woman are one. And if one part of this unity is sick, then the other half has to do his or her best to heal the other member of his body. So it says, uh, not to divorce her, but to take greater care of her and to cure her by means of repentance and by giving her a chance to return. I was speaking to a woman the other day and she said, if my husband does that, that's, it's, 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 it's finished, it's finished. Okay, well, you have that right. But let's see, what, let's see the second reason, which might help that person when she hears the talk. Secondly, because when such an impure condition has developed between a husband and wife, which I read earlier on, it is by God's permission and as a result of previous sins that that has happened, that is, Adultery. It's because of sins. And let everyone examine his own conscience and he will find our words true. Hence, both parties must have patience with each other and not insist upon a separation. Even the apostle says that a faithful husband should live together even with his unbelieving wife, as we heard in the previous talks. And equally, a faithful wife should live together with her unbelieving husband. When we say unbelievers, we mean pagans, because back in the old days, in the first centuries, Christians were married to pagans when they converted. So two pagans together, one becomes Christian, they're married. And, these, and, and, and St. Paul says, don't divorce, don't leave your husband or wife because they are pagans. 
because he said, um, for even the apostle says that, yeah, a faithful wife should live together with her unbelieving husband for the hope of salvation of both of them. For how do you know a wife whether you will save your husband or how do you know a husband whether you save your wife? So he's saying, how do you know that by staying with that your husband who's an unbeliever, you might save him and can, he might convert? Or how do you know uh, the, your, the husband is saying, your wife's an unbeliever, yes, but if you stay with her, she might convert. You can save her as well. How much more should a couple then live together, not separate, even after adultery has occurred, at a time when unbelief, the worst of all sins, will not separate it? So this is interesting, where Saint Saint Nicodemus is saying, if Saint Paul commanded a woman who's living with an unbeliever, with an atheist or a pagan, not to separate, how much more... And that sin is worse than adultery. Unbelief is worse than adultery. How much more then should then would Saint Paul say the same of those whose spouse has committed adultery? Of course, if the person repents and things like that. So, did you understand that? The um, sometimes you got to use like logic. So, Saint Paul is saying to the man, man, listen. Yes, your wife's a pagan. Yes, she's an unbeliever. Stay with her. If she, if she wants to stay with you, then you should stay with her. He says to the woman, yes, your husband's a pagan. Yes, he's an unbeliever. If he chooses to stay with you, then stay with him. And he says that that sin of unbelief is worse than adultery. So if you shouldn't separate from an unbeliever, how much more shouldn't you separate from a person who's committed adultery? Now... Of course, these things which we have said as concerning the husband are to be understood likewise as pertaining to the wife. So it's equality. Notwithstanding that the author of Proverbs says, and he who keeps an adulteress is foolish and ungodly. So St. Nicodemus is saying, but in, the, in, the, in, in Proverbs, it says in there that a man who keeps his wife as an adulteress is an idiot, is a fool, is ungodly. This saying reflects, says Saint Nicodemus, the harshness, the strictness, the abruptness of the old law and not the leniency and kindness of the extremely gentle law of the gospel, like Saint Joseph the betrothed of the mother of God. They were engaged. He discovered that she was pregnant. He suspected that there was a, some union with someone else for her to have become pregnant because he knew he was not the one involved. So the law of the Old Testament was that he was to, to publicly denounce her as an adulteress, but he didn't. It says in the gospel he wanted to secretly put her away, like send her away secretly. But why didn't he do what the Old Testament required? And the fathers say because Saint Joseph had already began to live the grace of the New Testament 
which is one of kindness and forgiveness and gentleness, which is unlike the Old Testament, which was stricter and rough and things like that because of the way that the people were. St. Cosmas' teaching on that says, you have no authority to divorce, only death and adultery can separate you. And if it happens that a wife falls with some other man or if, a, or if the husband with some other woman, they are under obligation to go to the bishop to be divorced. But again, he who has been injured by his wife and doesn't divorce her acquires a spiritual reward, but is there a way to... But is there a way to forgive her? There is. How? You, my child, travel to a foreign country. Remember, this is in the time of the Turks, right? So he's talking to Greeks who were under the Turkish Empire, under the Turkish, uh, what do you call that? What, what, what were they? Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Of course, he did go to the islands, which were under also the, the Venetians and all that. But um, you, my child, travel to a foreign country or go, in, go to, out to your field and your wife falls with another person. You return home. What should the wife do? She should take an axe and a piece of wood and bow before you, kiss your hand and tell you, Master, I beg you to do me a favour. Take this axe and piece of wood, put me on it, cut me to pieces, throw me to the eaten by dogs because I'm not worthy to look upon you in the face because I've trampled upon your honour and from a daughter of Christ I've become a daughter of the devil. But don't react, just... Just hold on to the chair if you feel like you want to get upset. What do you say, my son? Do you have it in your heart to kill her or to forgive her? It seems to me that you'll say, may you be forgiven, but never do it again. The Greeks lived under the Turks and therefore were influenced by Turkish laws. The Turks had the right many times just to kill their wives if that happened. So he's kind of going along here in the sense of the way that it was in those, in those days, that even the Greeks would do the same. And he's showing of the humility, not that, of course, he's telling the man to do that, but he's trying to, to, to show the humility of what a person should offer to their spouse. We could say, for example, today a man can say, I don't deserve your forgiveness for what I've done because I've betrayed you, I've, you know, was I went with someone else. I deserve to be punished, I deserve for God to send lightning and, and strike me or whatever. That, and you feel it out of humility because you feel what you did is wrong. The saints spoke many things like that, you know. Um, when, I, when I die, and they, and, they, and they meant it too, they said, when I die, they used to say to the disciples, just throw me into the forest so I could be eaten by animals. They had so much humility. But that's what he's just trying to show, something of a humble um, thing, not that anti-women and things like that. It was just the times that they live in. And he said, 
But when you but but when should you divorce her? When upon returning from abroad you learn it from your neighbour, then you are forced to divorce her. In the same way, the Lord during his second coming will be forced to put us in hell if he finds us unconfessed, unrepentant and incurable. But if he finds us repentant, he has compassion on us and puts us in paradise to rejoice forever. This is, of course, a different dimension because now he's saying if the person admits it, then you can stay with them. But if the person doesn't admit it, then you should get rid of them. But yet we, we, we will see... Um, that there are canons like that too, by the way. It's true too. There is there, there is a lot of truth there because um, a person who gets caught out usually are unrepentant, usually. Or they say, like a drug addict, oh, I won't do it again, I won't do it again, I promise, I promise, I promise. But... There are exceptions where some people are caught out and they truly do repent. And I'm sure that Saint Cosmas would say, yes, then forgive them. But in general, when people are doing things secret, they get caught out. A lot of times they don't repent. Now I'm going to read you some extreme examples. From, this is from Elder Paisius, The Family Life. When I read this, I found this, I said, this is a wonderful example and it's going to teach us not necessarily to do what, what this person did here, to tolerate, but, but let's just read and then we'll, we'll, we'll analyse it. One time, a Greek-American doctor came to my Kalivi, which is the house, like his house in the Manathos, to Saint in Elder Pages. Noticing that his face was bright, I asked discreetly about his life. Father, he told me, I am orthodox, but until recently I didn't keep the fasts, nor did I go to church frequently. One night I had knelt down in my room to pray to God about something that concerned me, and the room suddenly filled with a pleasant and sweet light. For a while I couldn't see anything but, the, but this light, and I felt an inexpressible peace within me. Talks 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37 and 38, I think, talk all about those things that a lot of times the devil can make light and make fragrances and it's actually deception. Of course, a saint like Elder Paisios would be able to examine this man's experience to see is it from God or is it from the devil. I marvelled realising that this man had been made worthy to see the uncreated light and I asked him to tell me what had happened before this. Now, the uncreated light is exceptional for some great saints to see. It's called the uncreated light. Most Christians do not see that. Nor should we seek to see it, because we can fall into deception. But those saints who, have, who have, had reached theosis, as we say, like Elder Porfirios, Elder Paisios, many other great saints, they actually had experiences of the uncreated light. Then he goes on with his story, because Elder Paisios was curious, how can this lay person had been given this blessing to see the uncreated light? Father, he went on, I'm married and have three children. We had a good, good family in the beginning. 
But later on, my wife didn't want to stay home with the children. She wanted us to go out with her friends. I went along with her wishes. After some time, she said that she wanted to go out with her friends alone, without me. I accepted this too and stayed home with the children. Later, she didn't want us to go on vacation together and asked for money to go by herself. Finally, she asked for a separate apartment to live alone. This too I did for her, but she had her friends over all the time. During this entire time, I tried to help her through various means, by caring for her, loving her, giving her advice. I tried to make her think of the children who missed her, but she remained unmoved. In the end, she took a great deal of money from me and disappeared. I searched and asked for her everywhere, but, was, but it was unsuccessful. I had completely lost track of her. One day, I learned that she had come to Greece, from another, she left America, went to Greece, and was living in a house of ill repute. In other words, she was living in a brothel. She had become a prostitute. I just can't describe how upset I was by her sorry state. In my utter grief, I knelt down to pray. Uh, my Lord, I said, please help me find her and do whatever I can to help her not to lose her soul. I can no longer bear to think of her utterly, her utterly fallen state of being. It was then that the light flooded my room and my heart was filled with peace. My brother, I told him, this other page was saying, God took notice of your patience, your forgiven spirit, and your love and brought you consolation in this manner. This is what's missing today. Of course, that's a very extreme example, but nevertheless, how many people get on their knees when, they, when their spouse has gone off to pray for them? Like that. To say, I don't... See, see what it says here? I said... Lord, my Lord, sorry, my Lord, please help me find her and do whatever I can to help her not lose her soul. That's the purpose of marriage, for the husband to help the wife to be saved and for the wife to help the husband to be saved. How many times I speak to people and how many times I ask when people say, I can't take my husband, I can't take my wife, I, I can't, I want to leave, whatever. Have you ever prayed for them? No. Oh, a little bit. Not really. Have you given their name for commemoration? No. I was dealing with a woman a few years ago who had that very same problem. Her husband was ill mentally. And he was so difficult. And she would sometimes contact me and say, I, um, I can't take it. It's just unbearable, the things that he says. He torments her. Doesn't, didn't, doesn't hit her even though he's been close. I know once he did, he smashed her head on the steering wheel. And I said to her to call the police. She said, no, whatever, it's up to you. Um, but anyway, she said um, that she um, can't take him. She wants to divorce him and things like that. And I said to her, no, you don't do divorces. You can separate if you need to, but no divorces. 
if he falls with someone, you have the right to divorce if you want. Anyway, I said, look, we'll do prayers. We'll commemorate him in the liturgy. But those prayers don't really work much unless you also do prayers. And a few days later, she rings up, how are you? Oh, he's really good. Why? I said, why, why, what happened? Oh, I did some prayers. You did some prayers. Yep, and how is he now? Great. And a month later, two weeks later, three weeks later, he's dead again. And he goes, oh, and he goes, he's gone off again. I go, yes. And he goes, what, what do you say about that? He goes, I did become slack. I stopped my prayers for him. I go, why? Because you don't love him. She goes, not really. I said, well, you have to pray. Because that's why, you, that's for the purpose of the marriage. Your husband's down. You got to now help him to be saved. You leave him, he could go to hell because he might lose himself just because of the marriage, the, 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 um, the unbreakup. Plus then you've got to deal with the separation with the children. So then you've got to give the children to a mentally disturbed person for the weekend. At least now you're at the house so you can supervise. How are you going to feel when you're giving your children so he can take them for the weekend when you know that he's, got mentally, he's mentally disturbed? Like the guy that killed his son in the, in, a few weeks ago in the cricket pitch. You know about that story? Just killed, he, just killed his, he just killed his son because he's mentally disturbed. But the court said, you've got you to share. Isn't it better to be there? And plus, the thing is, that's for your children. But at the same time, don't you care for his soul? There's I've been slack. Okay, praise again a few days later. How is he? Great. Another, another, later on, oh, he's fallen again. Okay, can you please pray, she says. Okay, we'll do commemorations. Rings up, how is he? She goes, the same. I go, well, we did commemorations, but he's the same. Did you do prayers? No. I said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be together. We'll do prayers but you've got to do prayers as well because the spouse's prayers, I will say with, with great daring, if a spouse prays with love, as we saw here, for their, other, for their spouse, for the, for, the, for the salvation of their soul, then they might not see the created light, but their prayers can do miracles. And these are from people who don't even know how to pray properly. Oh, I'll go to the saints. I'll go to a shrine. Maybe I can go to Greece or go to Serbia or go to Russia and pray to St. Matronos, pray to St. Elder Paisios' grave or something like that. But why? Because for my, for my, for my husband. But your, but your prayers can be greater than the saints' prayers. But how can that be? Because God has given this special grace to the spouse to... Pray for their spouse. I see it continually. Continually. And has given special grace, especially to mothers, for their children. Oh, I've seen women who, are, who aren't very spiritual people, but they've got problems with their children. I go, I'm sorry, no, on your knees. You have to get on your knees and pray to God for your children. And what do we see? Complete transformation. Just change. Why? Because God's given that grace. When, when the couple get married, 
there is so much grace bestowed on that couple for, for a couple of reasons, to, to, to procreate, to have children, but also there is this grace that's given for the spouse to pray for each other and for the parents to pray for their children. And I've seen miracles like that continually. I have a fellow, as I said, who, as I said, his wife wants to leave him. And he rang, rang up for some advice and I, and I said to him, um, look, we'll do prayers. And he didn't know what that was. He was new to the church. He didn't understand it. Orthodox. He goes, yeah, what do the prayers? I go, do prayers to, that, to enlighten her and things like that. But you've got to do prayers as well. And he goes, but she says it's finished. Like, it doesn't matter what she says. You pray for her, but she wants me out of the house. It doesn't matter. She wants you out, you go. But she wants, to, she wants me to start the proceedings for a divorce. She wants that, you can't do nothing about it. But at the same time, you still pray. You still pray, etc. So he got, he got one of the priests. I said, go to your priest, parish priest, help make him to speak to her. So they did, and um, he, the priest was saying, what are you doing to turn to this woman? You've got th- three children, whatever. This is very bad. And then the priest said, married priest, by the way. Remember, I'm a monk. He's a married priest. Monks are not supposed to get involved. The married priest that supposedly know better because they're married, and he said, forget it, she's gone. <gasps> Done. That's it. She's finished. With one try. Now, I've been dealing with this person for months and months and months. And I said to him, even if it's the day before the divorce goes through, you still will pray. And after the divorce has gone through, you will still pray. Pray for her soul. Pray for her to come back. Because she's lost. She's actually uh, possessed. And then I found out that this woman got mixed up with Reiki, where she supposedly is getting all this spiritual healing. She goes to these people, they lay hands on her, and then she gets this energy, which has said, I've now got life. When I was with you, I was repressed. I was unhappy. I would cry. You make me sick. I hate you. Those are the things she was saying to him. And now I'm free, and now I feel um, empowered. You are empowered by the devil. You are completely possessed. This woman is completely possessed. Doesn't care at all. But it's interesting, isn't it? So So the monk is saying, you keep on praying, but the married priest said... She's gone. Forget it. Just go ahead with your um, go go ahead with the um, divorce. Hmm, interesting. So many people have become quite spiritual, and this person's changing, and so many other people have changed through learning to pray for their spouse and for their children, and have become spiritual. That's how they learned. That's how they became spiritual. So we don't want to see the uncreated light. This is an exception. 
And what an exception, like this woman even became a, 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 a prostitute. But this man had love for her soul. He didn't want her soul to be lost. But today people divorce without thinking about the soul of the other person. Even Saint Ksenia, the fool for Christ, the Russian saint, she was not religious. Actually, they were at a party with her husband. And he just dropped dead. He drank, he was drinking, and he was dancing, and this and that. He just dropped dead. But they weren't spiritual people, even though he was a chant and things like that. But, you know, most, you know, you know about that. So it hit her all of a sudden that, uh, what happened to my husband? Then she started to think, oh, there's a life after. Actually, I never even thought about life after myself. Uh, only at all of it, when I was at my, at our, I went to a funeral once, and I was just sitting there and just came to me and go, hmm, why are people crying? And just suddenly just came to me, there's a life after, which I, before that I never even knew. Just thought about it, and then I, then I, then I got a Bible and bought it, read it, and then I, that, that's how I changed, from a funeral. Saint Senya, from her husband's death, not for herself, not for her own soul, she couldn't take the fact, she obviously loved him, she couldn't take the fact of the, the thought that her husband died without confession, without communion, with sins, and she couldn't take that. And that's when she began to pray for his soul and through praying for his soul, through her, her love for him, she became holy and then obviously that transferred to herself taking care of her own soul as well. But in the beginning, it was for him. That is why I often say, says Elder Paisios, that it is, the, it is the devout lay people who will judge us, in other words, condemn us, meaning monks, monastics. Do you see a doctor in America with such a wife living under those conditions in such an environment, and yet he was made worthy of such consolation he actually saw the uncreated light. And the next situation is just as bizarre, but very, very um, instructive. Again, from family life, Yerunda, elder, or star, it's as they say. A wife was abandoned by her husband who even took their child and now has relations with two other women. She asked me what to do. And the old, and the old day replied, tell her to be patient as she can, to pray and to behave with kindness. She should wait, she, should, she herself should not break up the marriage. These are strange things we're hearing today. Why would the elder advise such a thing when Christ said that divorce is permitted for adultery? This is similar to what we read in the lives of Saint Thomas, who was abused for 13 years by her husband. It wasn't, we don't know if it was adultery was involved, but he was, she was abused. And, and then she died at 38 years old. The canons allowed her to divorce, as we read a few months ago, when you're in danger of being killed, then you've got a right to leave. You, can't, you don't have to say, but St. Thomas stayed there. 
and she was abused and she died at 38. And what happened later? Her relics became corrupt. And then some people got upset on the internet, or when they read this, not from me, but from was on the internet, they got upset and say, how can the church, and how can the church look up to her, and how can this be a, uh, uh, an, uh, uh, a patron saint of married people? Again, you know, tearing their clothes and saying, what further proof do we need, and things like that. Why? The church doesn't say for people to um, endure that. She chose to do it. That's her right. She, she wanted to do it. St. Paul the Simple, he chose. He didn't want to stay with his wife. He left. But he didn't go and slip around like today when people leave and they have their divorce parties, like I saw on the current affair the other night. What did I see? I'm doing this, I'm preparing this talk, and I always have to watch the current affair because I've got to see what's going on in the world so I can present. And all of a sudden it said, divorce parties. There's, there's people who actually organise, not birthday parties, divorce parties. So what they do is that these people organise have a party that balloons called Happy Divorce. It's when the divorce comes through, the women get together, champagne glasses, they have a male stripper there, and um, they're all laughing and, and they have a cake. And the cake says, Happy Divorce Day. And they sing at the end, happy divorce day to you, things like that. That's what I saw at the moment that I was preparing for the talk. I thought to myself, I want to present that divorce is a joke today. And then I saw that. And the woman was saying, now it's a new chapter of my life. Now I'm going to move on. Now I'm going to be happy. I'm breaking the chains away. And then the reporter goes, what's the purpose of the male strip? He goes, so it just helps us to see what's available out there. So we have people who leave and go and dedicate their life, not necessarily they have to become a monk or a nun, but people leave, they divorce and lead spiritual lives. Some become monastic, some stay and become spiritual. Take care of their children, like I'm telling this fellow. Stay with you. You take care of your children because they're going to need you soon because she's going to lose it. She's not going to be able to take care of the children. They need you. The youngest is 10. Madness. And that's why these talks are important, so people can understand how they, should, how they should think and how does the church look at things, even if it's not applied properly. People don't even know that second marriages are uh, not even looked at as good. People just say, oh, I'm going to go for my second marriage. I wonder if any priest had the guts to say to that woman, by the way, your husband didn't commit adultery, why are you leaving for? Do you know that you can't commune for seven years? That's what should be applied to... I believe that's what should be applied to her, strict, strictly. Because of the fact that children are young and there was no reason for it. Put some fear into her. She might come back. 
When Christ gave the commandment to divorce, he didn't say you have to divorce. He gave that option so that they don't kill each other. He even and, and that's going to come up soon, I think, that explanation. You have an option to divorce. You don't have to divorce. That's the secret. And that's why we're seeing these great saints and elders, Saint Cosmas and Saint pa- Elder Paisios and the, saint, uh, the Russian saint and Father John Christian, all these saints are saying, stay where you are. That's the best solution. Stay. Fix it up. Be patient, he said about this man. Pray and behave with kindness. She should wait, not break up the marriage. And then he says, another example, Elder Pesha says, there was once a man who abused his wife, treated her badly, but she faced all this with patience and kindness until she died rather young. When they exhumed her body, a sweet fragrance issued from the grave. Everyone who was there was surprised and puzzled. You see, she had lived her life with forbearance, in other words, patience, tolerance, long-suffering, in other words, and was rewarded in the other life. These extreme examples, like like St. Thomas, where she was abused badly by her husband, and she stayed, these examples, where she could have left, but these examples God allows, and her relics remained incorrupt for a purpose, Why? Because at that time, people were divorcing for reasons that were trivial. When you see incorrupt relics, there's something that God is trying to show, or or fragrant relics, like St. Erasmus and St. Vinicius and St. Spiridon, which are all along the west coast there of west coast of Greece. Those, why, why were those Relics there, they're incorrupt completely. Why are they there? Because those islands were over were a lot of times taken over by the Venetians, by Catholics, and Orthodox were becoming Catholic. And therefore, the God allowed those relics to be there so people can say, look at the Orthodox, they've got the incorrupt relics, they've got the miracles of the saints, while the Catholics don't have incorrupt relics. St. John the Russian at the time on the Turks, to show people, don't, don't become apostates, don't become Muslims, look at the beauty, look at the power of the Orthodox, etc. The same as St. Thomas. Look at this, fragrant, um, incorrupt relics. Why are people divorcing for less? I mean, not the church is not saying tolerate such abuse, but she did. She died a martyr and her relics were incorrupt and she was full of, she, she performed a lot of miracles. Why? To say to people, stop this madness of these divorces happening for even small reasons. And then he goes on to another example, which we'll do in a minute, another two-minute break, two, three-minute break, and then we have the last hour and we're finished. Before I go on, there was another example of Saint Matrona, not, not the Russian Saint Matrona, who's commemorating somewhere in November, I think the 9th. Her husband was abusing her, and that she wasn't, he wouldn't let her go to church and things like that. 
and um, she left. She left him, and she went into a monastery and became a nun. So we have two examples. Saint Thomas stayed, was abused, was killed, well, died at the end, and we have Saint Matrona, who, which I, as I mentioned a few talks back, I wanted to find these different saints. Some left, some stayed. It's very interesting that even though it's not to do with adultery, or maybe, I don't know, it doesn't say in the life that he committed adultery, um, she ju he just wouldn't let her go to church. And we have examples of saints who, even though they went through that, they stayed, and others that left. But what was interesting in St. Matrona's life, and she had a child too, by the way, it says there that she prayed. That was so great when I read it. She prayed to see if it was God's will for her to leave. And then she decided that she felt it was, and she gave her child to a pious woman to take care of, and she left. And that's another thing. A person's spouse can commit adultery, as we said. Christ doesn't force you to divorce. He says if you want to avoid, as he said there, um, killings and things like that. We see from the spirit of the church that it's best to forgive. But what's the best to do in this case? Is it better to stay? Is it better to leave? And we have the examples of these saints who prayed to know what to do. And that's not, that doesn't happen as well. Now, Elder Paisius goes on, there's another case I have in mind. Sorry, by the way, a person can pray and already have made up their mind that they want to leave and then believe that if they saw a leaf fall or something happens that they believe, oh, that's a sign. I mean pray over a period of time, seek counsel of good spiritual fathers, put your name down for prayers, and let the circumstances show. Be honest with your prayer so that God can enlighten to show what's the best. A young, now the elder goes and says, here's another example. A young worldly fellow fell in love with a girl who was living a spiritual life. In order to make her like him, he started going to church and tried to live a spiritual life. They got married, but years later, the husband returned to his worldly life. Even though they had three grown children, one boy in college, two younger girls, one in middle school and one in high school, he continued to live a reckless and immoral life. He owned a large company and made lots of money, most of which he wasted with his expensive lifestyle. His poor wife held the home together by being economical, because obviously that's the type of people that they don't even give to their own family, and kept their children on the right path by giving them love and sound advice. She never spoke badly about their father, as she didn't want to traumatise or influence them. That's important. When people go through divorce or when people are having problems, they use the children as a way and say, your father's this, your mother's this, your, your, you know, all that type of, That's very bad. A young teenage boy, his parents were going through some type of divorce and he couldn't hear negative things from the spouses together in front of the children. He would say, stop, and start screaming, stop, stop. 
he was disturbed. He became disturbed. But parent, a lot of people today are so selfish, they don't care about their children. They'll do their fights, they'll say harsh words in front of their children. If they're a bit older, maybe they can take it, but when they're young, and they ruin their children for life. Or because of selfishness. He, so when he came home late at night, she would make up excuses for him, saying to the children, I had to work. But in the middle of the day, when he, he, he would come home with some girlfriend of his, what excuse could she give them? She, 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 could she give then? So what did this godless man, who didn't deserve to be called a human, as he had no humanity about him, do? He would call ahead to his wife and ask her to prepare one of his favourite meals and then show up with one of his girlfriends. The poor mother always received them with kindness, giving the children the impression that the girlfriend was one of her friends and that their father had stopped by her house in order to bring her to their home for dinner. I, it's, 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 it's an extreme example. You know what part I like? Well, it's, it's the part where she still didn't bag him to the children and she tried to protect them knowing the truth. Unlike modern psychologists that they go, you've got to tell the child the truth. This stupidity is like... And that whole disaster of that 9-11 when it happened, they were trying to tell little children about terrorists and this and that, and the little children, they can't cope. Different if they saw it or heard it at school, then you've got to try and explain, you've got to be careful. But things like, um, oh, no, we, we tell the children the truth. We just say, yes, you were conceived in a test tube. Yes, well, you know, mummy, daddy's sperm didn't work, so we had to get it imported over uh, via TNT Express, and we brought it over here, went on the computer, we looked at it. So you don't know who your daddy is. Yeah, you just say the truth to the children. They're okay with that. They're good. Are they? Are they good? We, you, were, you were born in India because what we did is that mummy's egg and we took this because I couldn't and we took it over to India and it was impregnated into an Indian woman there and we gave her $10,000, whatever. That, and that's how you were born. So she's like your mummy as well. And they say for all that, they're okay. Or when, they, or, or, or when they sit down and they go, OK, I've um, got a couple. I've got a young child, three years old. I saw this, 60 minutes, whatever. And they go, OK, now, Daddy and Mummy, we love each other. But Daddy doesn't want to stay with Mummy anymore because he's found someone else. He's got a boyfriend now. So he still loves you, but he's going to have that person. They're going to live together. And they say, it's really good. Kids very accepting. Idiots. She would then send the children to their rooms to study because she feared that they might see something improper as the father did not hesitate to behave inappropriately even to his own home. I mean, I personally, I would say no, I wouldn't. That's me. This happened so frequently with so many different women that the children began to ask their mother, Mother, how many friends do you have? Oh, these are my friends from long ago, she would answer. In the meantime, her husband abused her and treated her worse than a servant. 
Just think of that mother and what she had to endure days in, day, day in and day out while serving two beasts who dishonour the home. And still she constantly tried to instil good thoughts in her children. Who are the two beasts? The husband and his girlfriend who knew that, she, that he was married. Yeah, by the way, the elders referring to them as beasts. Um, and still she constantly tried to instill good thoughts in her children. And it wasn't as if she knew that this would soon be over, so as to say. So it's not as if she had this hope that when is this, this is going to stop soon. She didn't know if it was going to stop. I'll be patient and find some consolation. The situation went on for many years, but because this disgraceful man had given many rights to the devil, it was only to be expected that he would be under terrible demonic influence. influences. He was like a crazy man who had no control over himself and found fault in everything around him. One day, as he was driving like a madman drunk from... Uh, drunk with carnal passion, he lost control of his car and fell into a ditch. The car was completely wrecked and he was seriously injured. He was transferred to the hospital and after a long recovery was brought home a crippled man. No girlfriend would come near him now for he was no longer rich and his face was badly deformed. The good wife, however, continued to take care of him without, remi without reminding him of his sinful past. I have an example of that. A woman whose husband had a stroke, he was horrible to her and had other women and now he's paralysed and she takes care of him. He ha she has to toilet him, she has to do everything for him even though he, he did that. What a great virtue. This good wife, however, continued to take care of him without reminding him of his sinful past. This moved him deeply and transformed him spiritually. He sincerely repented, asked to go to confession, lived a few years in a Christian way with inner peace and finally reposed in the Lord. After his death, his son took over the business and provided for his family. The children lived in harmony and love because they had received a good foundation from their good mother. Now that, the mother, now that mother was a true hero. She drank all that poison in order to keep the family together and protect the children from becoming bitter. She held the family together correctly. She even saved her husband and gathered in heaven a treasure for herself. God will certainly place this woman in, in the best mansion of heaven. So that is, again, an extreme example, but one can learn for lesser, for lesser reasons than that and to say, I'm leaving, I'm going I'm to do this and do that. Now, on this topic of forgiveness and all these things, I've just got a, a, um, a section of St. Nicodemus. He says here that I said that a husband can marry a second time if without grounds of adultery the wife deserted her husband. We already said that before. And she takes another. If, however, the wife merely deserts her husband without grounds of adultery, the wife left but he didn't do anything wrong in the sense of adultery. 
and she does not take another husband, she just leaves, as I said before, and remains as she is, single, then her husband is not allowed to take another wife. Why? Because there's a chance that they might come together again. But instead, both parties should either remain single or become reconciled and reunite again according, in accordance with Canon 113 of Carthage. And we have there what St. Paul says, uh, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And her husband is not to divorce his wife. So, I mentioned that earlier. People break up sometimes not for reasons of adultery. And the canons say, and St. Nicodemus explained it there, that it would be better not for those to get divorced. He even says further on that the bishop should not grant a divorce because there's a chance that they can get together again. St. Nicodemus further writes here, note, however, that though the Lord allows husbands to separate from their wife on account of adultery or in um, fornication, whatever, yet a bishop ought not to give them permission to enter into a second marriage, but ought to leave them separated for a long space of time until the one who committed fornication, that is adultery, comes to repent of his or her deed, to fall at the feet of the other, and to give a promise that henceforth he or she will keep the honour of the other mate, that is the other spouse. And in this manner they are finally reunited. That's why I think even the government here, they don't give automatic divorces. They always have a time. Was it one year? I'm not sure what it is here. I think it's one year. They wait just in case there's a pope in reconciliation. The marriage is dissolved here in, in Australia, all over the Western world especially, and that's why um, they've seen that it's a disaster where there's no marriages, where there's no family unit, that the, the society goes corrupt. And... Even the government is concerned. And the China say there should be more education, there should be more counselling, marriage counselling, to try to keep couples and families together. Because it also costs them a lot of money. The only ones that become rich out of it are the um, lawyers who salivate when they see someone come in that says, oh, I'm getting a divorce. So he says, even if someone leaves and not for adultery reasons, the two people. Delay, don't divorce, don't let them get second marriage at all. However, if, if the person that left has committed adultery, again, they should give a little bit of time and hope that the other person repents and comes back and says, I'm, I'm sorry. For even the Lord did not allow them to be separated merely on account of adultery, but mainly and chiefly because of the jealousy which results from such adultery and because of the murder which often follows as a result of jealousy. That's the reason why Christ said, for adultery, yes, you can divorce. Not, not you have to divorce. You can divorce. And he did that to avoid um, killings. And like it says in the, in, the, in the gospel, he says, he said to them, Christ said, Moses... 
because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So he's, the fathers explained that Christ allowed divorce in the Old Testament for all reasons, because the Jews at that time, if they, if they wanted to get rid of their wife and they weren't allowed, then they would kill them. So they said, so in those days, they could just give a piece of paper and say, that's it, I'm divorced, goodbye. Then Christ comes along and says, no, that's not right. I give you permission if you want to divorce only for adultery. And I'm only doing this because of the fear that jealousy can occur and there can be killings and things like that. And that's why the church, using that knowledge that Christ was fearing people killing each other or whatever, he, the church expanded its reasons for adultery and went on to when a woman is in danger or her children of being killed, etc., then the church allows divorce. And that's why there's other reasons. When a man or a woman's been abandoned, when they're in danger, there's all these other reasons for allowing a divorce. But you're not forced to do it. And that's why the saints, including Saint Elder Paisios and the other saints that we read, didn't do it. And the last thing here, if, however, in the end, no way or method can be found to reunite the couple in the future, the innocent spouse may, as a matter of great necessity, marry a second time. So you've got these couples separate. For no, not because of adultery, you've got couples that are separated. Or you've got couples that are separated because of adultery. And St. Nicholas is saying, well, the ones who have not remarried, the ones who have not gone with someone else, you don't let them marry at all because there's no adultery. Just leave them there as five years, whatever, ten years, they could come back and reunite. However, if there's adultery involved, then still wait a while, just in case. And if there is no way, there's no method to bring those couples together for the, in the future, the innocent, the innocent spouse, the one that didn't commit adultery, may, as a matter of great necessity, marry a second time. For example, he never had children. Or he's still young and therefore sexually it's hard for him to hold himself or herself, depend, whatever. And therefore the church says, better, okay, we'll allow a second marriage because you never had children or we'll allow a second marriage because of the sexual reasons so as not to go around and, and fornicate. So the innocent party can get married, but listen to this one, but never the spouse guilty of adultery who became the cause of the separation. This spouse, instead of a second marriage and wedding candles, should rather sit mourning and weeping over his or her sins and find sin, that's the separation, and find comfort in the darkness of sorrow and of grass widowhood, which means widowhood is like a person who was married but then their spouse left them, died or abandoned them or just, that's what it means, just stay single because of the fact that whom God joined, he or she tore apart. So God joined you together, you tore that union apart, therefore you should never be allowed to get married. 
and the innocent party is allowed to get married. But of course, as I said, I spoke to a fellow, in, a priest in Greece, and he said that even Orthodox Greece, which is strict, and um, he said that it's so bad here it's become that they even marry in, they're even marrying the people who they commit adultery with. So you've got a couple and a man commits adultery with a woman, then later on the church gives the divorce and lets him marry the woman that he committed adultery with. Of course, the stricter bishops would not allow that. But that's the situation how it's become. Sodom and Gomorrah. So we go on. Different reasons why people divorce. Remember what St. Nicodemus says? That there's always a reason why adultery came into the marriage. And even if the other person didn't do it, they've got some guilt there as well. People can say that adultery is a disgusting thing, which it is, and there can be no forgiveness. But as I mentioned, that there is guilt and there are reasons why these things occur. One of the reasons is when the couple, one or two of the couple, or even their relatives, are involved in magic. Now, I've done, uh, with God's help, talks 50, 58 and 59 on that type of thing. And there's a lot of examples there of people who had magic done on them to break up. But people don't know that. They themselves don't even know. So your spouse can actually be gone off into adultery because they're under the, they're under the influence, because they're not protected, because those people weren't close to the church, one or two of them. And therefore, People can be divorcing when really um, it was this, the, the, the dark powers which actually were trying to dissolve the marriage. If you remember, in the talk that I did, there was a, um, uh, in talk 58, the example of Elder Haralambos. It says there that the ever-memorable one believed the source of unhappiness and differences in families was their distancing from the church and the holy sacraments. A lot of couples don't live a church life and therefore they are unprotected. And because they're unprotected, that's why these divorces occurred. That's why a lot of times it's the fault of both of them, even if one didn't do it. A Christian who does not attend church, says Elder Haralambos, who doesn't pray, doesn't go to confession, doesn't commune, is an unfenced vineyard, where at any moment the door is open for the thieves, that is, the demons, to come in and destroy. And that's what's happening today in a lot of families. Families are unprotected. Marriages are unprotected. There's no grace from God to protect. A man once confessed that, for no apparent reason, his wife became cold towards him and, towards, uh, and turned away from him to such a degree that he was in danger of being divorced, although they had two children. This man heard that someone who was jealous of them cast a spell with the intention of taking his wife. Confused, the man asked the elder, Elder, does sorcery exist and can it cause such problems? 
And the elders said, does it exist? It very well exists. But whom does it affect? It affects whoever the evil one finds naked and defenseless, not naked without clothes, meaning naked without God's grace. And then the man said, meaning what, elder? What does that mean? Naked is the one who doesn't have a relationship with the church and defenseless is the Christian who doesn't have contact and relationship with Christ, the holy sacraments, prayer, confession, holy communion. If you want, read the life of St. Cyprian and Eustina and you will see how that, how that head sorcerer humbled himself before the little girl Eustina. Indeed, St. Cyprian denied Satan and witchcraft when he realised that spells can't affect Christians. He became a Christian and such a fervent one that he was martyred with Eustina for his faith in Christ. The fact that your wife has not yet dis decided to forsake you means that you are not completely defenseless. There's still a little bit of grace there. But of course there are other couples that, 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 that they have fallen. However, to be saved from this temptation, you must struggle harder. Give me the name of your wife. See the importance? Prayers, to the, um, giving the name to the monastery. I will specially commemorate her in divine liturgy and every day I will say a prayer rope for both of you. See? Prayers at the liturgy, prayers from the monastery, from the monastics. But I want more from you. You will pray for yourself and your wife and you will regularly take communion. See, I like that. See, it wasn't just as, I'll pray and it will all happen. You have to pray as well. But for your prayers to be heard, you need to cleanse yourself, you need to confess, and you need to commune. If, you, if your wife follows suit, then you have won her. Otherwise, you will ask for patience from the Lord until he heals her. So that's an interesting one too. St. Elder Haranobos is saying that um, if she doesn't come back or if she doesn't make, come to her senses, and she, even if she falls, whatever, you have to have patience and ask God to heal her. Tell me, do you keep the fast of the church? Well, I keep something. Well, you will increase that something. Can you fast from oil on Wednesday and Friday? I don't know, Elder, because I work very hard. If I told you our program here, we work even harder, then let it be, have oil Wednesday and Friday, but fast, do some fasting. Fasting is important for families to do some fast. If they can't do the whole fast, which most people can't today, then do something. And take communion at least every two or three weeks, not two to three times a year like some people do or once a year. Christians need especially in these days to be communing often. Anyway, that's my point. If you were able to, I would have told you to commune even more often. Here we take communion three to four times a week, the elder was saying about his monastery. And that's true. A lot of monasteries who believe in frequent communion, they commune three to four times a week. I always try to tell Christians to aim at least every two weeks, but if you can't, sorry, if you can't, then maybe every three or four weeks. So what I do is start with them to say, okay, why don't we do every month? Then we go to every three weeks, then we go to every two weeks. And if they're leading, um, as I said, and if they're doing the, the li spiritual lives, then the best would be every week. There are Christians in Greece who commune at every liturgy they go to. 
As in the above case, the elder helped many families stay together and with his simple but wise counsels restored harmony and peace and mutual love. A monk, by the way. So can monastics help in marriage situations? Yes, I would say yes. How? Give in the names, let them pray, That's and you pray as well. And they can save and can save a marriage, even if it has gone to the level where someone's fallen, which a lot of times they've fallen, one or two of the parties involved, the two partners, because they're unprotected. And as Elder Paisius would say, he says, perhaps you have gone, you have given certain rights to the devil for such things don't happen for no reason. So some person went to him with all these demonic problems or problems, family problems. He says, you're given rights to the devil. When the devil has been allowed to acquire great rights over a man and has him in his grip, the cause that will bring his power to an end must be found. Unless we repent and go to confession, destroy the rights that the devil has over us, he will not go away and will always be troubled. In other words, when we have given rights to the devil through adultery or through abortions or through magic, all those things, pornography, whatever, gives rights, we give rights to the demons to torment us, to take control and destroy our lives and for married people to, to destroy their family. He's saying you've got to cut, you've got to find what's causing this. Find the sins, confess them, stop them, repent and change your life and restore your union with God. As long as the devil has these rights, he will not go away even if one reads and rereads exorcisms for days, weeks, months or years. Some people that come to me or to other priests, they say, my, um, I'm fighting with my husband, my family's upside down, someone's done something to us, which could be true, but most of the time I say, I say to them, look, I believe, you ask a few questions, I say, personally I believe that no one's done anything to you, you did it to yourself. You shoot away God, you rejected him, you brought in sin because one, you went to magicians, or two, because of this sin or that sin or that sin or that sin or that sin. Get rid of those sins and you'll bring unity and peace to your family. Another Now, Father John says another reason for problems, which I'm going to bring up now, is the ban on abortion. He says, know that for every child that is unborn due to his mother's will, each child to which she later gives birth for her own joy will take revenge upon her with sorrows, sicknesses and psychological oppression. This is a law. You cannot expect happiness in earthly life after an abortion. And as for life in eternity, well, it's terrible even to think about it. In a word, hell. He's saying here that a person, a woman has an abortion because she doesn't want to have the child at that time but she'll decide when she wants to have it in her time and he says later gives birth for her own joy okay, I'm ready now, I feel like a baby he's saying that the children that are born later on will take revenge on the mother and obviously the father too if he was involved for killing his or her siblings. And he says that they will take revenge upon her with sorrows, 
sicknesses and psychological oppression. There is no happiness when this happens. Hell on earth, hell after the grave, do you know why this is so and cannot be otherwise? Because by doing this terrible evil deed, you would be consciously knowingly killing an angelic infant soul. So think about it, repent that such a thought even came to your mind. She was contemplating it, so that's why he was speaking quite harshly. As for those who have done that, that, that sin, Saint John would say, Father John would say, and all the saints, repent, ask God for forgiveness, and repent for the rest of your life. Now, what's this got to do with marriage? Well, it says here that if a person's been tormented by, 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 by her children, and probably the man would be tormented too, how are they going to have a marriage? How are they going to... The pressures of children usually are a cause of marriage breakups. Pressures of children can also be a reason for people to commit adultery. But in general, a lot of divorces occur because of all these sins that have been done. And Father John says, The Holy Fathers say that the living children of mothers who kill their own infants take revenge upon their mothers for their brothers and sisters who never saw God's light. Yes, and there are many other sins, known and unknown, and sorrows are repentance from God, but you have to bear them without murmuring, without complaint. So here... Uh, he says there that the person goes through sorrows and sufferings as a penance from God to help them be corrected. If they repent, then those sorrows are lessened. If they confess, repent, etc. But if they don't, then those sorrows continue, 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 and that puts so much stress on marriages that they don't last very well. And the last one, he calls it infanticide, which is like another word for abortion, is a mortal sin, the consequences of which will reflect themselves first of all upon your soul and then upon these, those children whom you have already born. They will suffer in life, the children will suffer in life and take revenge upon you for their murdered little brother with such affliction and torments that you will not be able to bear it. If a person's been tormented, like that, if a person has lost grace, then how are they going to pray for their spouse? So even if that person who's committed the abortion, for example, has not fallen to adultery, but her husband might be uh, contemplating it or going towards it, how is that woman going to pray for her husband? How is she going to say to God, God, protect him, don't let him do that? Don't let, don't let our family be broken up. How can that be done if she has blood on her hands? And the same thing as the man. If the man forced her or if the man does his own sins, how is, she, how is he going to pray for her? And that's why a lot of times these things happen, as, as St. Nicodemus said, because of the sins that are going on in the family. Father John says the situation in your home gets worse and worse because you keenly serve the enemy by going to magicians and by committing adultery. By doing this, you've invited into your life the dark powers which are standing on end now that you have turned to God. Reciting prayers is not enough to make this hostile thing depart from you. You also voluntarily turn to a sorcerer, the enemy of God. So... Is there any point in waiting for God's mercy? In other words, what's the point if you've got all these sins, magic, adultery, etc.? 
How is God going to listen to your prayers? Again, I say, how is the person going to pray for their marriage? Especially today when all the temptations are so great for people to commit sins, adultery, to break up, divorce, to do unnatural sins, etc. How can that couple be protected? How can God listen to their prayers when these things have occurred? That's why people have to remove these things by the, by confessing, repenting, and showing fruits of worthy of repentance. Elder Thaveos, I thought this was very good. One can easily turn heaven into hell. There was an interesting case that happened a few years ago, says Elder Thaveos of Serbia, uh, who just died a few years ago. A married couple came to me. It was clear that God had endowed them with great beauty. I had never seen a more handsome couple. So the man was handsome, the woman was beautiful, and even the elder was surprised of such beauty. But what's the point of having beauty? We'll see in a minute. The weather was cold and we served liturgy in the chapel. When the service was over, they wanted to talk to me. We have some problems, they said, I have, and I heard them out. The case was that they had married each other out of love and had lived peacefully in harmony for a few years. The atmosphere in their family was similar to heaven, which is the ideal, isn't it, for a, for a married couple and their family, children, to be like they're in heaven. Then recently, they had begun to quarrel over every little thing. There was no more peace in the family. What was worse was that they had a little son, six years old. The child was the reason they had come to me in the first place. They said that the child had totally alienated or withdrawn himself from them and did not even want to talk to them. Six years old. He only wanted to be with his grandparents. We buy him everything he wants, but he's always silent. We buy him toys, clothes and candy, and he just grabs it from us, tears it apart or kicks it. Of course, doctors would say he's got ADHD, would give him pills, uh, but they don't look at spiritual because the doctors, a lot of them aren't spiritual, so they don't know. All they know is the pills, and that's, we know how misuse that's used. So maybe this child's got that. We have to see, don't we? Because he might have ADHD, ADD, AHD, ABC, whatever. They're all, all these um, letters that they have for people of all these sicknesses. Every time a child has problems, it's got to do with some chemical imbalance. Yeah. By the way, they can't find. They can't find this chemical imbalance. But then they say that these pills work. Hundreds and thousands of children are on them. And to me, this child looks like he's got one of those letters, right? Then he goes to his grandparents, leaving us alone. We don't know what to do, otherwise he's a healthy and normal child. He doesn't want anything to do with us, his father and his mother. Why is all this happening? See, I'm glad that the saints say all these things, because if I say, they go, oh, he's fanatical and he's this and that, that's why I've got to be careful. Pick St. Nicodemus, St. John Chrysostom, all the great saints, we need to back. Because if I say, they say, oh no, he's a fanatic, he's a monk, what does he know? He's not married, he doesn't know about married life, he doesn't know this, that, 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 all these things that people say. And you say, well, 
Because I believe what I'm going to, what, 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 what I read. I've seen it. But if I say it, people won't believe a lot of times. But let him, let, let the saints say it. I told them that the child uh, obviously did not want such parents. He was constantly searching for his mummy and daddy, but they were never there. Now, how does that make sense? They were never there. I told them, you used to be happy because you had your parents' blessing. Your parents had nothing against your union to be married. In other words, on the contrary, they had arranged your marriage even before you had seen each other. So you had your parents' blessing. You married out of love and there was peace in your union. Your home was like paradise. Now, this was an arranged marriage and some of you go, that's why. See, it's an arranged marriage. But you missed the point. Um, yes, the parents could have arranged it, but it says here um, that you married out of love. And there was peace in your union. Your home was like heaven. Now, everything has gone wrong. And the elders are going to explain now. Is it a mental imbalance? Because of your thoughts. Until recently, you were satisfied with what you had. You did not fantasize. But now you look at other women with lust and you give your heart to these women. Your wife looks at other men and gives them her heart. Now you come together <clears throat> in the flesh only, but not in the spirit. So when he says that you were satisfied, you were satisfied with each other, sexually. The man was satisfied with his wife, the wife was satisfied with the husband. But then that wasn't enough. They began to fantasise, just like people watch the, the internet. This was in Serbia a few years ago. I think it was before the internet. Now it's even worse. So he said, and when you come together, when they're having sexual relations, it was just like physical, like animals in other words. There was nothing there of love. Your minds are wandering in different directions. Thank God that you have not stepped outside the boundaries of your marriage vows. The elder thought they were saying, thank God that you didn't commit adultery yet. Your child senses all of this and he does not want such parents because not only have you strayed away from each other, you've also alienated yourselves from him. You've cut yourselves off from him with love. Remember that story I said? There was a woman, her thoughts, wasn't thinking about other men, but because she had some mental problems there, her mind was just racing, 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 and her child would say, oh, mummy, can you play with me? And so she went down on the floor, and they were playing blocks. This child was only a couple of years old. And, um, the, child, and the child was saying, play, play with me, mummy, or something. And she was saying, I am, and she was playing with him. He goes, no, but play with me. Two years old. I don't understand how he... It's amazing how he understood. He felt that even though she was doing all the rituals, put the blocks there, put the little car going there, whatever, but his heart, her heart was not united with her child. It was all external. She was acting. And the two-year-old understood it. It's a spiritual thing. The same here. 
There's no way that that six-year-old child would have the insight to know what's going on with the parents. But God permits it. And he says that you've cut yourself off from the child because you're too busy fantasising about other people. The child feels that. You yourselves have created hell in your home with your thoughts. It is very painful to have a mother and a father yet not have them. I would I I like to put that with gold, with gold letters. It is very painful for a child to have a mother and a father yet not have them. And that today is the case of 99% of parents. When a woman, and this is not because I'm sexist and I, you know, I don't really care if you think that. When a woman, like, sorry, but I, sometimes I've got to clean my teeth then I get the wax in the ears then I've got to use special hair because the scalp, special soaps, whatever it's called. Then I've got to cut the nails and there's all these things, just clean, all these things, the flossings, and there's so, so much to do. And I think to myself, I find this time consuming, but it has to be done. These are important things. Then I think of those women in front of those mirrors to dress themselves up to go to buy some milk. And some of them take an hour to an hour and a half. That's time that they're taking away from their children. When my nails get on, I go, oh, here we go again, I've got to cut them. If I cut them wrong, then it goes inside, it hurts me. And as you know, you've got to cut the toenails and it's a whole rig, the whole thing. Now, these women, they don't just cut their nails. They decorate them, they, they do things with them, they paint them, they file them their hair, their eyelashes, everything. That's time taken away from their children. That's time taken away from their spouse. And the same with the men. The men might not decorate themselves like that, but they've got other stupidities on the internet, pornography, or other things, whatever other interests that they have, which cut off from the family time. And if they work, because a lot of women work today, so they work eight hours and it takes a couple of hours to decorate themselves every day. I don't know how long it takes to take it off in the night. Does it take a long time too? I'm not, I think another hour probably to take it off. Skin care, everything. It just, it just doesn't stop. It just There's so much things. And on these current affairs and all that, all the time, there's all these things, new thing for the skin to keep yourself soft to look young. They think they're going to look young forever. And when they get old, then you wonder why. They say, oh, the menopause, because I'm looking old now. And it's so sad because of this menopause. Women used to look at menopause as a good thing. Time to slow down. Time to devote more to God. No, today it's like a devastation. Feminism has done a couple of good things. But in majority, it's put so much pressure on women... 
It's crushed them and they are at the point of the most miserable that they've ever been. And that's why there's a change now. And a lot of women are saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I'm, I'm not like a superwoman like Ida Buttrose and all these other people that they think they are. I can't do that. That's some women that can do that. Very rare. And that's why they're showing now that women are saying, I'm not going to do that. I just want to stay home with my kids. I don't want to go eight hours, drop my kids off, come back, do this, take them to these home place, what are they called? Um, preschools, whatever they're called, what they call, daycare things, childcare, child so that other people can take care of their children. Like you see people taking their child there in, a cra- in those capsules, a couple of months old, so they can go back to work. And some of them are in a really bad situation where they've got to work, it's so hard. Let's just leave them to the side. That's a small percentage. The majority of them, they don't have to. But yet, a lot of them now are starting to say no. And you know who their worst enemy is? The feminists themselves are very upset. Some women, I want to take my husband's name. I want my husband to be the head of the family. I don't want to have abortions. I don't want to do... What was that thing that you said? The schools. Day schools, what are they called? Day, daycare. I don't want to do that. And the feminists are saying, what's, what's going on? What's, where's all this work that we've done, all these, all these decades? They had an, a, a rally in, in Washington, I don't know how long ago, a year, two years ago, uh, anti-abortion. And the feminists got very upset because there was even young teenage girls in there and young women who are holding up signs and saying life begins at conception. These weren't orthodox people. Of course, there was orthodox people there. Ordinary people. Time is being taken away from the children, and that's wrong. And that's why this is to look at it spiritually. You take your children to the doctor and give pills when it just could be one reason. Because the father is on the internet looking at pornography, for example. Or the mother is watching some type of uh, uh, soap opera of people committing adultery. Or because they're flirting with others. Or because they're fantasising. Or because they're having a relationship of adultery. And don't forget, that's not just the makeup. They, 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 there's these Facebooks as well. So the husband's in his room on the Facebook and she's in her room on the Facebook. When do they talk? Where, where are the children? I was speaking to a fellow and, he, and I said to him um, about his wife and he says, oh, she's a really good mother. I go, but I don't understand. How is she a good mother if she wants to leave her... F- it wants to break the family up. He goes, no, but she does. I said, so I just guessed. I said, does she um, do... She goes, oh, no, she spends time with the children. And I said to him, I don't really believe you. I think you're a bit deluded. Does she have Facebook? as yes. I go, so when she's on the Facebook, where are the children? He goes, um, oh, yeah, uh, mm, they're downstairs. And how long is she on the Facebook for? He says, uh, yeah, can be a few hours. He realised that uh, that's not correct, what he thought. 
In his mind, she was a good mother because she might have cooked a meal. And those children are lucky they even got the meal. And then you've got the, the, the woman might say, oh, my husband's a good husband because he played a little bit of swings with the children. But then he locks himself in the room. He's in there for hours. What's he doing? I think he's doing work. And I say, sorry, with respect, I think it's because you're stupid. I think it's because you are so naive to believe that he's in the room doing work. And a lot of people don't want to know to go in there and say, what are you doing? That's not for married people. Get a baseball bat and smash the computer. And some women have done that. Because they want to keep their marriage. So, that's basically the end of the talk. And I welcome any questions. We've only got a couple of minutes to go. Yes? Some, there are some Russians here and some Serbs as well that lived under communism, especially in Russia. And they, there was a lot of propaganda and things weren't allowed to be said. And we say that's bad, which it is. But little to our surprise, that's happening in the West, where information isn't being allowed to come out to the people. It's been hidden. Um, a, a, a doctor did a study in the United Kingdom, the effects that childcare has on children, and he, dis he discovered things that were, dev that were horrible, the psychological effects, the, the behavioural problems, the, 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 a lot of those children become addicts later on, things like that. And he wanted to print that study and he wasn't allowed because Stalin's daughters, the feminists, got upset. They go, you can't do that because if you do, then you're putting us down. So they didn't let him. But his conscience, he couldn't take it, so he printed it. They destroyed him. The same with homosexuality. They're not, they're not allowing the statistics to be published of the effects that their lifestyle is having on society financially the, and that the sicknesses, the AIDS, that, are, that, that their practices cause more disease and problems for society. But they don't want to do that because it makes them look bad. That, that the, their, their lifestyles, etc., it's all hidden. So we've got KGBs. Yes, there used to be KGBs over there, but there's KGBs in the West too. And it's not allowed to be said. There's a lot of things that have been hidden of the truth.
dentists are forced, even though it's not, people don't like it, but dentists are forced to say to their patients, are you practising oral sex? Because it's been shown now that that act causes cancer of the mouth. So, they, so they're forced to do it, but, it doesn't, but people don't like that because it was always said that it's safe, there's nothing wrong with it. Doctors know that the, that the, that the act of sodomy, which people call anal sex, sorry for the expression, that that is, is the, one of the major causes for diseases that are spreading everywhere, especially AIDS. That's not allowed to be said because then you're putting the gaze down. So, KGB, and I call it the WKGB, which is the Western KGB compared to the KGB of the Soviet Union. So, things aren't allowed to be said. Any other questions? Yes? That's the that's um, what I had set for the next talk. To I wanted to I don't know if I'm do it the next talk, the talk after, but I've got some wonderful examples of people of how what their mentality was of how they committed adultery, and because their husbands didn't show them love and all these type of things. There's a lot of those reasons, but nevertheless. The ultimate thing is that people are close to God and they're left unprotected. And they say, like women will say and men will say, oh, my, my wife's not affectionate, whatever. But then later on they find someone else, they go, oh, I had the best time of my life, I'm free, I'm this and that. Until a few months later they go, oh, that person's not affectionate, they go to the next person, the next person, the next person. That's what I'm saying, it's just it's become a mess. But anyway, we'll do that next time. Okay, I think the, is the food ready? Can you go and ask? I think it's ready. So, the angel. The angel cried unto her that is full of praise, some pure virgin rejoice, and again I say rejoice. The sun hath arisen from the grave on the third day. Shine, shine on you, Jerusalem. For the glory of the Lord hath arisen upon thee. Dance now at the battle, Zion, and do thou exult, O Pupheldokos, in the arising of him thou didn't Amen. Okay, make sure you eat before you leave.